There are things that go bump in the night, and the Hellboy Book Club podcast is what bumps back. This is Nathaniel Green in Roseburg, Oregon, saying, enjoy this newest episode of the Hellboy Book Club. Reading Hellboy comics and talking to our friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. Thanks, Nathaniel Green, for his awesome intro this week. He does a pretty good John Hurt impression. Yeah, yeah that was great. <laughs> that was good. Keep those coming in, you damn guys. And regarding Warpaint Paul's song from last week, we got some feedback on that. Friends of Strackbine said, Wow, that intro song on the episode was amazing. Kill the Black Flame is officially a song lyric. <laughs> And Mark Tweedell said, that was so much fun. The song at the end was great. Hellboy Book Club is very, very buff. Made me happy sad. Aww. Yeah, because that's what Case used to say. Jason Abaddon said, the cool intro to this week's podcast makes me think it's Hellboy. Drunk off his ass in some Mexican karaoke bar singing <laughs> under the spotlight. So that was really great. Keep those intros coming. Shout out to our partners at Mignolaverse.com. Kevin Alford and the crew gave me another stab at writing, this time about Agent Ashley Strode as we count down the days till Hellboy Day. You can check out those articles and so much more, interviews with Dark Horse peeps, reviews, and so many insightful articles by many talented artists, including some listeners of the show. They're also looking for writers. Thanks to Kevin, Alex, Danny, and the awesome community over at Mignolaverse.com. Go check them out. And don't forget, this is the last couple of days to leave us a review and subscribe to Mignolaverse.com on YouTube in order to get a chance to win a Hellboy Library Edition Volume 5 with the beautiful oversized pages illustrating Darkness Calls and the Wild Hunt. And now we're going to talk about some listener feedback. Uh, wait, before we do that, I was just oh, want yeah, to say ahead. about that, that one song... Um, I, I listened to it like a shitload this week. <laughs> you asked me to send it to you. Yeah, I know, it was Aww. great. I, I listened to it like I'm driving in the car, I'm doing the dishes, I'm just sitting on the couch listening to the song. Think, man, I want to listen to this song again. <laughs> so thank you again for that song. It's really catchy. Yeah, we are enjoying it. Hey, you damn guys, drinking with skeletons. And now on to some listener feedback. Thanks so much to Matt Strackbine for his comic book, Hellboy Book Club, One Stormy Night. Great. What did you guys think about that? That, <laughs> wow. That was amazing. That was really sweet. I thought that was very, yeah. that was cute. One of our listeners, Albert, over at Interactive Artistry Video Game Podcast, he said that we create an atmosphere of hanging out with friends beside a roaring fireplace as it rains at night, and he mentioned it would make a nice comic book panel. And Matt replied, and he said, did someone say art? And he sent me the comic. That was a whole page. Yeah, and he incorporated our birds in there, oh, too. Put those little beepos in there. <laughs> and, yeah, Matt <laughs> said, uh, he said, I'm really glad you guys like it. The birds made since it's a take on a Mignola comic. He put those little beepers in there. Yeah. With the little... Uh, <laughs> The little note, yeah. the music note. So cute. Although, I will say, I had to go ahead and pretend that the fireplace was one of those TV screens that has the, <laughs> the four hours of a fireplace going because you should not have little birds near an open flame like that. But, nevertheless, very, very cute. It was a very kind uh, gesture, and I really uh, 
I thought that was a lovely page, and I just, yeah, I really appreciated seeing that. Thank you so much for taking the time to drawing that, and yeah. it was in full color. I was impressed. <laughs> and Ryan Rowlinson said, it even has mood panels. Yeah, the skull <laughs> and all that. Eddie White said, I would love to see Strackbine do a full Hellboy series for Dark Horse. So, Maybe. yes, yeah, let's get him out there that. to do it. Danny LaPlante from Mignolaverse.com said, this is just the coolest thing ever. Comic Book Explorer said, in typical Mignola fashion, his panel layouts are so awesome and abstract and kooky. He'll devote a panel or two for a close-up of a bird or a singing skull. And uh, Stonecutter Cam said, I imagine the birds as your budgies. They and, are budgies. <laughs> and that goes for the Mignola comics, too. How did he know what our budgies even looked like? Did you send him a picture of our birds? This no, I, don't, I think he probably follows me he on Instagram. He just kind of knows what with budgies looking. yeah but i like how a lot of our feedback is on other people's feedback you know what i yeah. mean like we we got a lot of feedback to paul's song and to matt's comics so well, that's anyway that's what i it's so that's awesome what yeah all, i mean that's what it's all about is we're all interacting as a we're a book club we're all we're a group of our little community friends talking about it with your friends and that's you know that's the whole point that's what we're, yeah. go that's what we're going for so that's I'm glad that's how it's actually operating I showed it to uh, I showed it to Kathy and she read it this, in the voices that she does for her little kids she babysits. It was so hilariously awesome, <laughs> especially when she got to the end. Fucking Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> we got a hey you damn guys from Carlos Martinez. He said greetings from Mexico. This isn't really related to any current readings, but I found a detail in the skeleton crew replica. Oh, we talked about Ms. that. Miss Classy, Miss Classy. I don't know. Okay, no yeah, idea. maybe that's how you say it. Anyway, that medallion, it's the replica of that medallion that Roger's creator wore, right? Mm -hmm. And he sent me a picture of it. So on the little sign-out log, it's just Roger checking it out over and over again. Aww. And he's got like little childlike writing. That's kind of adorable. Yeah, and he said, um, I really love this childlike writing. Yeah. I can't place the June date. Maybe you guys remember something. Anyway, I thought it was pretty cool. Keep up the good work. I look forward to the show every week. It's truly great stuff. Hope you enjoy the drunken blur. <laughs> Carlos. The date on here is... So he, he checks it out in June, like, every year. I You're wonder... saying it's around the same time every year. Yeah. Right? And then the last person to check it out is Kate. When is that? It says January of 06. I was wondering if maybe that was when they were trying to figure out how to bring him back. Right. And remember, she was doing all that research, and she yeah. went to go see the marquee and all that stuff. So anyway, yeah, I'll have to look into that a little bit more. That's really cool. I love seeing all the signatures on the side of the boxes. We also got a Hey You Damn Hungover Guys from Matthew <laughs> Boyne. He said, really enjoyed the episode this week. Hellboy in Mexico is one of my favorite Hellboy stories. Mm. The things you said about Mary and various Christian denominations' treatment of her was pretty dead on. Catholics, Orthodox, Russian, Greek, etc. all venerate Mary as the greatest human who ever lived since she was chosen to be the mother of God. Since she was the, yeah. But it also make it very clear that they do not worship her as worship is saved for God alone. Because of this, many Catholics and Orthodox Christians have great love and respect for her, kind of like you would for a good friend's mother. <laughs> Protestants, though, vary on their treatment of Mary. Some Angelicans honor and revere Mary, and some try to avoid such verbiage. Some Protestants see honoring Mary as idolatry, as Danielle said. Some see it more as a why bother with Mary when Jesus is all you need kind of thing. Yes. It really just depends on the sect. 
Finally, Muslims have a lot of respect for Mary as well. They see Jesus as a prophet and the second greatest prophet to Muhammad. So the mother of the second prophet deserves respect. There are eight chapters in the Quran named after people, and Mary is the only woman to have a chapter named after her. In fact, Mary is the only woman mentioned by name in the Quran at all. I'm fascinated by all religions, and I'm always genuinely surprised at how good of a job Mignola does when it comes to being accurate to the various religions he uses in his stories. Yeah, so yeah that was some Yeah, a fascinating good... topic. There's yeah. no reason not to be fascinated by it. It's, you know, it's interesting. Know, I didn't know that about the Quran, but... Is it Quran or Quran? Or Quran, Quran it? yeah. Quran. Maybe I said it wrong, yeah. Um, it's weird because like, I see it spelled both with a Q and a K. Sure, so. I don't even, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. about the extent to my knowledge of the Quran. Yeah. Well, I... Uh, I know, I know a little bit about it, but it's you know, it's obviously I haven't spent whatever years studying it and all this stuff. Matthew also said our episode was good timing as they announced Hellboy versus Lobster Johnson: Ring of Death, that new comic that they're going to be coming out with for Hellboy Day, and it's um, based right around the time of all those things that all those stories that we covered last week. When it comes out, we should read it and go in and splice it into the episode. Right. <laughs> Thanks, Alex Zitro, for some love on Facebook. Air dry that awesome Hellboy shirt, right? <laughs> okay, yeah, that's the thing. Is uh, Listen, gentlemen, y- y- young men who you have to figure out how to do your own laundry now, if you got a T-shirt that you really want to preserve and you don't want it to get all faded and messed up, you need to get yourself a garment bag. Need to use cold water, gentle cycle. Need to hang that up to dry. Don't put it in the dryer. Stop putting it in the dryer. Hang it up. <laughs> End of rant. There we go. K Mirren seventy eight commented. I just discovered this podcast yesterday. Such a great listen. Inspired me to go back to Seat of Destruction and take the journey to hell all over again. Keep up the awesome work. Thanks so much. Yeah, so maybe we have some new listeners coming on board. I've said this before, but you can always submit feedback on older topics if you're new to the show. Oh, yeah. But there's always like a weird time discrepancy because if you're on episode five and you submit feedback, I'll read it on, what is this, episode 31. It's fine. We'll just say, (laughs) hey, we're talking about, remember that thing that we read a while ago? We're talking about that right now. We're talking about the Vagrush. It's cool. Yeah. And we had some feedback on BPRD the Dead. Remember oh. the BPRD the Dead? We read that one way back. Mm-hmm. Wait, which one was the Dead? The Dead was uh, the first time, the first one that we had with Daimyo, and then oh. it was also that yeah. scientist Man, turned himself into a that, giant flesh moth. Yeah. 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 Oh boy, Daimyo, I miss him. Mm. That was also the one where Abe learned that he was Call and that he had been a captain and all yeah, this kind yeah, of yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah. Jason Abaddon said, all the stuff about Call being a captain and he sailed to the South China Sea and having his house built in a particular spot is totally a Lovecraft thing. Yeah. It's straight from the Dunwich Horror. It definitely, it definitely is. And he said that he was reminded of all of Johan's research into the frog glyphs and the written language and it never amounted to anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. We saw him so many oh. times and that never really like panned out. It's sadly realistic that a lot of leads go nowhere in an investigation. Still, for a red herring, they really played it out for years. (laughs) And so I thought that was some good feedback on some of those older stories. I always like um, reminiscing on those stories and finding other details. Well, and it's also, it it lends a little bit to the scary, overwhelming feeling of like, look, no amount of of investigating or hard work is going to actually get you through this. It's really... It's it's go time now. And so, 
you know, when you think it's going to be a mystery and it turns out to be an action film. Right. It's kind of one of those things <laughs> where you're like, look, no, no amount of looking through these books and deciphering and hard work and homework you know, is gonna, is gonna figure this out. And it's, that's a little scary. It it leaves you feeling like, oh, this is so much bigger than me kind of a deal. I think it lends itself to the, the way and the rate at which the, the universe is expanding in, in these books. It's kind of just getting to a larger and larger scale until finally you're just like, how the fuck are they gonna get out of this one? You know? Yeah. I completely forgot about Johan researching the language yeah so, that was his big thing for a couple of arcs there which yeah. like you think you can be in control by trying because because language is is the main way that we master our control over the world around us and it's like that's how we build societies and that's how we you know i mean literally how we're all so and when having control over that doesn't even help you know at that point you're like well this is beyond reasoning so how are we going to fix it and so that's that kind of i feel like yeah it's a dead end but it, it wasn't in the story for no reason, which is why I love yeah, these know. storytellers, all these, you know, the people who write this and draw it and whatever. They're, that's that's just another reason why the series is awesome. Yeah. It also, I guess, it helps to kind of make the series feel like it just really does move and grow and just keeps moving forward and, yeah. not, and, not, and not, you know. It's not static, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's it's refreshing to read a comic Absolutely, like this. Absolutely, yeah. We had some feedback on BPRD King of Fear when I posted that amazing Mignola watercolor Dave Stewart double splash page. Yeah. Remember that thing? Beautiful. Stewart Dobson said, one of the best two-page spreads ever, in my opinion. Incredible. Mm. So much intensity and atmosphere. And Nathaniel Green said, I've been thinking about getting a tattoo of these lilies around my wrist. Well, Nathaniel you Green, you it. better do it. You should. We want to see pictures of it. Absolutely. Get more Mignola tattoos. <laughs> Everyone should. Definitely. Mark Tweedell said, as you said in the podcast, these pages need to be seen side by side. This is an unfortunate loss in the digital version. And he pointed out, I really like this. If you go to our Twitter, you can kind of see he kind of drew lines on the pages showing how the it tracks your vision across those two pages. Yeah. yeah. Hellboy moving diagonally across the page, the lily moving into the darkness, Hecate emerging from the fog. They're all in these elegant lines. And he also posted one from King Vold. Mignola does this stuff really well. Just look at the way the coins fall to the ground in this page from King Vold. And if you go back and look at that page, as they burn through his hand and the panels track, it looks like they're yeah. kind of falling down. Um, it's really it's uh, hard to describe on the podcast, but uh, go over to our Twitter and check out those comments from. No, it's fine Mark art. Trito. It's yeah, fine art. It's it really absolutely good. is, and that's that's something that that's another one of my hang-ups about there are some people who would be like, oh fucking comic books you're talking about comic book pages that's not real art but it's that is fine art and it's it's um it belongs in a fucking museum yeah, especially like those two pages yeah it's yeah. really it's like it's oh. these artists are as much of an artist as you would consider anything hanging up in a fine art museum right, okay. i really and they their their knowledge and their skill is not any less just because it's sequential art when you have a mastery over what it is you're fucking doing anything any any form of art it's going to be you know a masterwork and i think that um considering these two pages a masterwork is not off the mark at all and i agree with that completely and i I think that um there's a lot of misunderstanding out there about sequential art and and just what it it means to the art history and the art world at large i think that these these artists definitely have a 
a hold of art history and and all of that stuff and just because they choose to do these stories telling sequential art books and all that doesn't make it any less fine art oh totally agree with you um you get fine art well i guess you what, what you call fine art like you know what everything has to be a fucking oil painting yeah. no like or some abstract kind of thing and it's just like one thing is one thing one thing's different but you know i mean sequential art is a beauty yeah. and a thing in all itself it's like it? saying oh this this sculpture here is not real art like what who the fuck are you to say that? This exactly. Is, this is some of the most incredible art I've ever seen. Like the listener feedback that you were just talking about, when he was explaining the way that the the panels are all set up and the way that the your, eye, tracks, your eye yeah. moves across the piece, that is so important. And that's, it's called composition, motherfuckers. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just, I guess I have just a beef with people who would be like, oh, well, that's not real fine art. Yes, it is. Do you ever see that Adam ruins everything about the art world? And it's I, horrible, but there are a lot of art history elements in these issues. There have been so many like paintings and things referenced and stuff like that. Yeah. So, oh yeah, um, it does show that they really have a research and a grasp on. Um, well, these artists yeah, the love. Art. They're artists. Yeah. They love art. They have a knowledge of art history. They have a knowledge of technique and style. And this is what they're choosing to do. So, shouldn't that tell you something about their choices and and what they're choosing to do with this medium. When I posted the comparison of the scene where Hellboy says goodbye to Kate between Guy Davis, Mignola, and Ryan Sook, we had some feedback from this weird old troll named Aubrey Lovelace. I think I'm <laughs> saying that correctly, right? <laughs> Pronouncing that name right? And he said, I like how all three are colored different from each other. Yeah, and I hadn't noticed that. That was a good comment, yeah. man. Yeah, they, they are kind of slightly... And Dave Stewart is coloring each one, so it's kind of like, I think it's kind of the mood mm -hmm. of yeah. how that flashback looks to you. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I agree there. Um, but I think its name is pronounced Aubrey Loveless. <laughs> <laughs> Loveless. And Mark Tweedell said, every time they return to this scene, I get sadder. Yeah. When I posted, and I posted Mark Tweedell's pencils that he had for the King of Fear, we were all jealous about him. <laughs> Todd Biallis said he was jealous and he gave two thumbs up. And anyway, Todd Biallis, thanks for those thumbs up. He always leaves me just random thumbs up. <laughs> those keep me going throughout yeah, the week, no, so good. I really no, appreciate awesome. those. Jerry Turnbull said, Mark is just showing off. And Mark said, it's true. <laughs> Some feedback on Hellboy in Mexico. Nathaniel Green said, so what are you guys drinking for this episode? Can't wait. So we drank um, we uh, drank that Hellboy Hellwater. We started off drinking that. Which is just, yeah. Yeah, we had some Tito's vodka. We yeah, took Tito's. a couple shots of that. And then we had some tequila. I think it was just salsa. No, it was just a, you know. It was salsa. It was like, a, a, you know, just a regular tequila, not anything too fancy. And then we all had kind of beers as chasers. Play with a good tequila is that Espolón. Yeah, that was good, but that's not what we were drinking, no. though. Uh, but uh, what did we... My favorite tequila is Don Julio. I'm not even a tequila person. <laughs> I'm really more of a vodka or like a whiskey. Yeah. I like a whiskey. I got a good bourbon. Oh, I could get like yeah. a maker's mark. But And then we, we were drinking beers, and they were all local beers. Yeah. Like I think they were like Carbach or Shiner. That's usually what we're drinking. Mine was an uh, Independence uh, Brewery. Oh, okay. I don't remember. It was a uh, Red Bud with cucumber. They're seasonal. It only comes out in the summer, and I had like the one left yes. in my fridge. Nice, nice. I didn't even. I don't even remember what I was drinking, what beer I was drinking, but we also had some feedback from Edgar Losa. He said, "Now is my time. Folklore and weird knowledge just for being Mexican. <laughs> Love from Mexico City, guys." And our pal over in Brazil, Mateo Santos, said. 
In Brazil, we say salud for cheers. Awesome. And it also means health. Nice. He said you could also say... When someone sneezes, right? You say salud. I guess, yeah. And he said he said you could also say tin tim, but it's more childish and informal. <laughs> and Ted Davis Artistry, he said, here's hoping Sunday was not a hangover day. In any case, my father was a Welshman, and you were talking about drinking toast in other languages. So in Welsh, we say yigida, which means good health to you. So try it when you can. Always brings a smile to my face, just like listening to your podcast. Thanks again for some great insights and content. Yeah, so yigida. We'll say that next time you're cheersing somebody. Okay, I like that. Stuart Dobson said, this episode is awesome. The ever-descending levels of coherence as the drinking game kicks in is hugely entertaining. <laughs> you kept it together, though. Jason Abaddon said the game should be take a shot whenever Hellboy says ah and two for each boom. And I was like, there's no, I was no, like, we would have been, no. we would have been too sloshed, you no, know, by the end no of the way. episode. And he said, yeah, you guys are a bit wrecked two thirds through the podcast and it's great. <laughs> a perfect match for this story. And I wanted to mention Aubrey's bottle of Johnny Walker Black. If every, if, <laughs> if every, we talked about how uh, Aubrey drank a whole bottle. If yeah, you looked yeah, on our yeah. social media, it was a tiny little bottle. So it's, anyway, it's the kind that you get on an airplane. I just thought it would be funny. Yeah, <laughs> Kevin Alford. He said, "Danielle, I almost choked to death on my coffee when you made fun of Brave Star. He really liked that." <laughs> When I posted the teaser image, Bugeye13 said, I really enjoy when you post the single issues. Covers are one of the things I like most about the Mignolaverse. And Clayton Schofield at Sir Edward Gray, great handle there. He said, I feel like I'm slowly turning into a frog monster. It's been a long three days since nasal surgery. I'm looking forward to finding some peace when this episode drops. Thanks for this. So hope you're feeling better, Clayton. Yeah, Jerry Turn uh, Jerry Turnbull said Mick McHannon. So Mick McHannon was the artist on Hellboy Gets Married. He said he's a huge artist over here. 2000 AD artist since the very beginning. He also said he came back to listen to the remainder of the episode after a break, and he accidentally pressed the half speed button on the app. <laughs> and he said, "Man, I thought you guys were pie eyed." <laughs> I, I read that. I was like. I need to go back and kind of hit that and see what it sounds like. <laughs> Did you do that? No. <laughs> Drew Campbell mentioned, if you want to reenact the Hellboy in Mexico story with the Hellboy reaction figure, you can pair it up with these Luchador reaction figures. So Super 7, they make those little Hellboy figures. They also make Luchador figures, too. So I thought that was pretty cool. Jen Niklas said, Hellboy in Mexico teaches us a lot of valuable lessons. You will fail, but drinking isn't the answer. Your life is constant failure, and drinking still isn't the answer. Stop drinking, you moron. <laughs> Otherwise, this is, for me, a perfect start for people to get into Hellboy. It's dark, it's funny, it's weird and dramatic. If somebody likes the one-shot Hellboy in Mexico, then they'll like the rest of Hellboy. For me, it's interesting to look at this in hindsight. Mike had added stories to this scenario from 2010 to 2015, and in this time the series had also changed. We see Hellboy at his weakest in these stories, and I was always a big believer that these are hints how future storylines will turn out. Not necessarily with the same characters, but in tone. He will fail again until he starts thinking bigger. At least he stopped drinking. And we talked about that. That was, that was a good point, because we talked about that a little bit in The Wild Hunt when he didn't drink Morgan Le Fay's wine. Yeah. But then we didn't have that knowledge of the uh, drinking fairy wine. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. We did talk about that last week. When I first read that comment, uh, the first thing I thought it was the Simpsons episode where Homer's like, 
Mm, beer. <laughs> the solution to and cause of all our problems. When I posted about Camazots and how Esteban was turned by vampires, Jason Abaddon said, I hate it when that happens. I got wrecked in college once and transformed into a bat god. It was just a fruit bat, though. Blue like $50 in mangoes. <laughs> Cute. Ben McLaughlin said, trying to decide which is a better metal band name, Camazots or Mayan Deathbat. And Joshua Worley said he was leaning towards Mayan Deathbat. Yeah, it's pretty good. I'm going to throw in my, for Mayan Deathbat. <laughs> yeah. When I posted Right Hand of Doom, Boom 30, Techbat Sequoia said, fuck colonizers, lol. Yeah, so, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> that could go with the Nazis. Absolutely. And Jason Abaddon pointed out, when Professor O'Donnell is summarizing the story of the Ogdruham telling early man about the history of the world and their inscription on the three gold tablets, it's the story shown in the island. I don't know if we talked about that connection, but that, uh, oh, that's also... I figured it was this, obvious. Yeah. I mean, that's... He says, I love that kind of casual referencing to other stories. Yeah, so great listener feedback this week. And now we're going to move on to our book club. We're going to be talking about BPRD, Hell on Earth, New World. This was published as a five-issue miniseries from August to December 2010. Story by Arcudi and Mignola, art by Guy Davis, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. And we get some great Guy Davis covers here. Well, actually, we were going to talk a little bit about this, um, you know, because the series had taken a two-month break in between King of Fear and this one. And so if you're looking at the omnibus, which we are here, there's like this image in the front. It shows the current team in front of one of these Ogdruham coming out of the ground. And it says, Liz Sherman has been AWOL since releasing her devastating fire at the center of the earth and hastening the worldwide crisis. Director Kate Corrigan's closest allies remain Abe Sapien, Johann Krauss, and the Egyptian mummy Panya while traditional soldiers round out the ranks of a more militarized Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defense, taking their orders from the United Nations. And so that's kind of like a nice little recap of everything that happened in the last series. It's a pretty cool looking, like, kind of almost sepia-colored photo. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, reminiscent of that uh, Hellboy when he first popped up in World War II. Yeah, I like that. And we get some great Guy Davis covers on here. Surprisingly, he doesn't do a lot of covers for the BPRD series. I think this one and The Killing Ground were the only ones that we got. And I like this um, just kind of like horror background. It's just like tentacles and teeth and crazy shit. When I first saw the cover, I was like, ooh, that's nice. (laughs) Yeah. And then a child's coffin, which is not quite as nice. Right, yeah, that makes it pretty spooky. Well, so I didn't connected it as the child's coffin until after i read the story uh, but uh now that i don't know why it's so <laughs> obvious <laughs> we open in mar marquios uh in british columbia marquios Mar- marquios it's not a real place no, so yeah. i don't i tried to look yeah, it up it so i don't know how to say it marquios matter at a laundromat a girl talks to a police officer her dad is missing The police officer mentions that another resident has gone missing, and the cop thinks that the two men went off on a fishing trip together, but the girl's not convinced. She says her dad wouldn't leave without saying something. The cop says not to get too worked up over what might be nothing. I uh, just want to say that I appreciate that Guy Davis can draw children without making them look 
very very creepy oh yeah yeah and i i don't want i'm not obviously not going to say any specific names and i don't want to sound like i'm being a hater but there are a lot of established comic book artists that cannot draw children mm-hmm. and it is very upsetting and very creepy and it just like especially like in the 90s there was a lot of this going on where it was like it just looked like a fully grown adult just a little bit smaller yeah than the rest of the characters and it was like that is not how you draw a child that is really upsetting (laughs) to look at i was i keep thinking of hope yeah from yes the x-men series Uh and it's like depending on who was drawing her god she either looked like a little girl or a teenager or a woman or a woman little girl or something a woman little girl exactly that's what i'm talking about and the woman little girl thing is just very weird as soon as the cop goes out she snaps her fingers and she remembers something she runs outside to tell the sheriff I just remembered that today daddy was supposed to and she goes outside the sheriff's gone and his door is the driver's door is open on the cop car. We cut to Washington DC and Abe is in a hotel room on his laptop. He's reading an article about Bigfoot being spotted in British Columbia. Like you do. Like you do. And he gets a video call from the BPRD headquarters. Hi Kate, Abe says. Wow, you still aren't sleeping, are you? (laughs) Not much, Kate says. Rude. Agreed. (laughs) She's calling in from the BPRD headquarters in Colorado, and she says it's supposed to be a debriefing with their offices and two squads in Europe. And it's like seven in the morning, right? So Abe here is like, you know, he's a little salty, and I can't blame him. (laughs) I I can't say that I would be any different at that hour. There was a comment in... uh, God, which one was it? Anyway, there's another story where Johan is trying to talk to Abe and yeah. he's like, oh, it's my appearance. And Abe's like, no, it's just early it's just or something like early, that. Man. So I don't think he's a morning person. No. I mean, yeah. who, who, whom's amongst us? <laughs> um, but I love these, uh, these two pages here, this one and the next one. It's just like, I like all the, the business. Yeah. That, uh, you know, the, she's steeping and drinking her tea. He's shuffling papers. It's, it's, it's the same thing that like, actors do yeah to kind of keep yeah you know to keep the scene dynamic it's not just two people standing there talking at each other's faces it's like you know they're they're living their lives they're people they're doing stuff it's um so yeah i like that uh that guy davis comes up with all this business or i don't know if some of this is in the script or not it could very well could be yeah whoever is responsible for that good on you agreed and the two other squads in europe they've no show to the briefing Third time this week, Abe says. And there's this part where he gets up and he's getting some water and she's like, I don't want to be talking to your ass. Yeah, it's I like all those little moments. It's really good. It really humanizes the whole scene and the whole conversation. It makes it interesting. Like, when you have to have two people on a conference call, (laughs) how do you make that interesting? And so you throw in these very real interactions with these people and it kind of also shows their level of comfort with their relationship because usually in a professional relationship it's got to be very you tolerate a lot more than you normally (laughs) would in one another's behavior and you sort of let a lot slide and don't mention some things and you're very courteous and and uh you know but these two people are like can you just sit the fuck down i don't want to look at your ass come on man it's early and it's like you know I love how grumpy Abe is, and I love uh, Kate's very droll replies. It's very adorable. Anyway. No, I I have to agree with you on that. I also like how they're showing, like, uh, video conferencing as in, like, 
oh, you look tired, and oh, get your ass out of my face. Yeah. Kind of thing. yeah. <laughs> Whereas most of the time you see like video talking in movies or TV show, it's always pristine, perfect-looking yes. people. It's like, very sterile, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just talking, and it's like, I actually don't really know anybody. It's just the function of it. Exactly. Calls. I don't know any, either, <laughs> no, neither do I. So it's very, they even put in a reason, like you said. I don't yeah. know anyone who actually does this unless it's like, oh, you want to talk to grandma? Look at grandma. You know, but this is supposed to serve a function as in like it's just bureaucratic red tape thing that Kate's trying to go through the motions like look I have to do these video conferences can you just please (laughs) although I will admit when I was a kid I really wanted a video phone but now that we have video phones I'm just all like nobody "Mm, wants that no (laughs) someone's facetiming you I don't fucking think so Uh, this was supposed to be like the Jetsons and now it's just like a nightmare (laughs) anyway and we get the idea that Abe is on this mission to locate a doomsday cult. Abe thinks it's a dead end, but Kate says they can't all be dead ends. And she asks how Abe's doing. Oh, come on. This isn't still that crap with Devon, is it? Abe Very asks. annoyed. And I don't know if this is the right time to be asking someone when they're already fucking annoyed. Right. But- <laughs> yeah. And Kate says that Devon's a core committee member. All members need to be heard. God, all that UN speak, Abe exclaims. I have a solution for his core membership if you'd like to hear that. And Kate says Abe's already aired that proposal. Yeah, that's what I, I love her <laughs> reply here. I believe you've already aired that proposal, Agent Sapien. The committee is taking it under advisement. <laughs> very, uh, just, it's very, this is very perfunctory. Yeah. You know, but also very, like, sarcastic and. Oh, yeah, I could definitely, good. like, hear the sarcasm when. It's when, excellent. Yeah. And I really like this. So she says that she's going to ring him at eight. But this panel right before that, it see, it's like her from behind. Like somebody's so, yeah, looking somebody, from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of setting that up. And then so when she hangs up with Abe, Devon was standing right there. We're so standing he there. heard all that stuff. And But it's like you said, it's so cinematic. Yeah. It's so cinematic. Like it's that. just. It oh, sets it up really well. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like we give out these, all these awards for like cinematography and stuff. And I think that that is, um, that is something that true masters of their craft at sequential art always have to keep in mind when you're telling a story and the people working on these books just it doesn't get better yeah you know oh yeah and devon says they shouldn't joke about it and so kate is startled by him well he says uh he keeps trying to get you to fire me and you're just laughing it off right (laughs) but then kate's like yeah you like told him he was the fucking you know antichrist or yeah the fucking he you told him he was a doomsday monster right. basically <laughs> so i think he, i'd say he's handling it fairly well as in you're kind of being a jerk you right not yeah and devon's like i was only repeating and she was like what some psychotic skull-faced monster preached about abe being the leader of a new race of frogs he was manipulating you devon trying to get you to turn on one another that's all if that's all it is, why are you still keeping close tabs on Abe, Devon asked. Jesus Christ, Devon, you're driving me crazy with this nonsense. Climb off my back, okay? I have enough to deal with right now. And we cut to the newsroom. There's like this command center and all the TVs are there. And it's just showing like all this stuff from the end of the King of Fear, that giant monster in the Salton Sea. We see over here like... Um, it's the Batcave basically over here. Yeah, and where those guys crashed and they turned into monsters. That's that's on one of the TVs and like reporters and stuff. Johan's watching everything. Just a really cool double splash kind of showing all this stuff. I always like in movies where they show like how sure. the world is taking oh, whatever yeah. crazy events. CNN and whatever. And Wait. here comes a nerd with a file folder. Yeah, this UN <laughs> dude, he comes up to talk to Kate. 
He asks if Johan is the best person to watch the monitors. I mean, he doesn't even seem to have eyes, he says. Kate says Johan can watch several screens at once. And the UN guy says he's got a summary on the lake monster sighted in France. But since they already have two teams in Europe, they might postpone. Hmm. Kate is like, yeah, I think yeah. I can spare one more agent. How about this guy that's annoying the shit out of me? <laughs> Send him out of the fucking country to do a very boring errand. Yes. Okay, I've, I've wondered, but I never really kind of thought about it. Like, how does Johan see? And then how like, oh, he can watch like several monitors at one time. I think he time. just yeah. perceives things. Yeah. yeah. It's it, like one uh, big eye, I guess. Or I guess you wouldn't be able to really know even how to describe it unless you were experiencing it an undead yeah person yeah yeah <laughs> but right. i i like the way they describe that though like actually he can see he can quote unquote see more than we can right kind yeah kind of thing so i i just thought that was interesting and i'm glad they kind of added that in yeah there. that's a nice detail oh, yeah. i'm glad they addressed it because it's kind something showing that what his powers are yeah. it's something that you you uh, need to address, but not in a very specific way. Right. There's because there's a, some comic books and movies that are like, look, we're not going to address this at all. And then there's some comic book and movies that are, and that works sometimes. It's like, <laughs> look, you don't need to address it. Just, it's fun. like even they'll even have a character kind of break the fourth wall a little bit and be like, look, it's time travel. Just don't worry about it. Right. But sometimes they'll be like, we're going to go into a super detailed, in depth uh, explanation right. that makes no sense and it actually makes things a lot worse for the audience because it's taking a million years to describe this bullshit and in this one she's like <laughs> look just take my word for it right yeah he's got no quote-unquote eyes but he's perceiving everything at a rate that is right. much more efficient than yeah. you or i so just leave it alone dude well and r- coming back to all the canon or whatever it reminds me of she was reading his file folder remember we had that one story where mm, she was reviewing his file right. and learning yeah. about him and then just what you were talking about, little shortcuts to exposition. Yeah. My favorite version of that was in The Third Wish, where Hellboy's like, wait a minute, how am I breathing underwater? And the little fish comes by and he goes, the nail. Yeah. And that was it, right? <laughs> yeah, the little fish. That's great. Absolutely. Absolutely what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, definitely don't explain stuff just to explain stuff. But, you know, yeah. if you're going to explain stuff, leave it leave it simple and vague. Right, you know, yeah. Don't overcomplicate things. Yeah. It's like if you're going to have Johan watching the screens... We're gonna we're gonna briefly touch on it and move on. And then so behind Devon on the TV we get we get this shot of this guy. I think it's very appropriate that this guy's wearing a red uh, hat, right? Kind of. Yeah. Well, I don't like, even know if that was. I mean, obviously that wasn't a thing when this was. No, it wasn't. But but he might is, as well. <laughs> he is one of the the red hat idiots for sure. These like, and he's like. Uh, if the UN is back in that BVDT. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, it's a prime example. Don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Gonna talk about it right. at length and at a high volume. Well, I could be wrong about this guy because then he says, look, we took care of the Nazis, didn't we? No, so he's anti-Nazi. Here's maybe? the thing. But here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. Um, I just want to touch on this. <laughs> he's an America first guy, right? Uh, okay, Which is, yeah. you know, oh, America first. That's. Uh, initially uh, quote unquote America's position on World War II was we need to stay out of it America first uh, you know what I'm saying right. and so that's uh, but then at, in the same breath this guy's talking about he's talking about America first but then he's talking about well bragging about how we defeated the Nazis Right. so that's my first thing is like which one is it are, are you going to brag about how you defeated Nazis or are you going to try and convince everyone that it's America first and then I think it was probably the Russians and mm. the Nazis, but I'm not gonna. You know, it was a group effort, and a lot of the effort came from 
places that we don't really want to think about. Right. But while America did fight the Nazis, so did a lot of other countries like the sure. Russians and yeah. the British and those are facts. Yeah. Yeah. The Russians kind of well, the, w- basically the way he... overran them and made well, Hitler the... kill himself. But the way he's like talking about beating the Nazis is like he's like other countries need our help, we don't need other people's help. Yeah. Kind of thing. Kind uh, of yeah. Kind of uh, er- uh, But he's like we shouldn't help anyone. It, and you're right, it really was r- the Russians who stormed Berlin I mean, before we even got there. Anyway. Yeah. But this guy clearly doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Is a jerk, yeah. and why is he on TV? Well, I like all these kind of cutaways because it sh- kind of shows how things would be. Right? Absolutely, it gives that sense of reality of how stupid people are Absolutely. and what they're going to say. And they would be in the spotlight, and that would be the major voice yes. that everyone would be hearing <laughs> is this fucking backwards drivel. Over at the BPRD headquarters in Colorado, we get this scene with Kate and Panya. I, I love how the. <laughs> I love how the through line of this story is Kate's tired. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> the first thing Ponya says is she goes, look at you, dear. You work so hard. She's like, you know what? Just once can someone just lie to me about my appearance and say that I look great. Yeah. And she's be... like, well, your skirt is certainly lovely. <laughs> I love that how it also it opens up on uh, this pelican monkey guy. Yeah. Ponya still got her pelican hanging monkey out there. With, hanging out with Ponya. Yeah. It's really cute. Kate apologizes to Panya that they still haven't found Liz. I think and Panya is kind of chill about it because she she already knew that. Right. That, yeah. Kate, what, that, that Liz wasn't coming back. And she was like, and she's your friend too after all. Just take care of yourself, dear. And Kate gets a call from C. Giroco. On a flip phone. On a flip phone, Which yeah. is weird because they have like the most advanced technology in the world <laughs> at their disposal and she's got a flip phone. Wait, wait. When did this uh, comic come out? This was 2010. Okay, so that's about right. iPhones were out. In Smartphones 20- in general were yeah. kind of a, becoming a anyway. Yeah, I just I found know. that interesting. It, it kind of looks like a flip BlackBerry kind of thing. And yeah. So, oh wow. So in 2010, uh, Blackberries were still. Oh really yeah, it popular. has all the it has all the buttons. It has the yeah. uh, QWERTY buttons. Yeah, and they were really popular uh, with companies and governments at the time. Oh, government agencies. Week. You are yeah. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good wow. job, Aubrey. <laughs> But this name, we saw this name in the last Cowboy Story. Good job, Aubrey. Yes, I was like wondering who it was then. Then you even said it in the podcast, and I see the name again, and I'm like, who is this person? Yeah. And then so we, turn the page. we meet Carla. Oh, it's a very Seinfeld <laughs> delivery. Who is this person? <laughs> <laughs> and we meet Carla Jerocco. She's calling from Abe's mission, so I guess she's out there with Abe. They're checking in on that Doomsday cult. Turned out it was a bunch of frat guys doing some stupid shit. And we already knew that this was going to be a total dead end, but this uh, is kind of supposed to illustrate a larger frustration that Kate is having to deal with right now. And it's, yeah, it's a bunch of these idiot frat kids who are just like, it's just a joke, man. Yeah. and Like, yeah, you're causing an international fucking incident, dudes. Yeah, Kate goes, yeah, hilarious stuff. Yeah. (laughs) And so she wonders why Abe didn't call in. And Jiroko says... That Abe signed out one of the Humvees and headed north. Yikes. He said he told you. Yikes. And so, damn. Um, and we cut to Abe, and he's in this town that we saw earlier, but right? this is not the first time that he ha- does whatever the fuck he right, wants. Right, yeah. yeah. He commandeers government equipment constantly. Oh, yeah. I it's mean... like a constant thing. <laughs> we have see the Humvee parked in front of that police car that was left with the driver's door open in front of the laundromat. Super creepy. And he, there's just nothing there. We just see him looking around. And we cut to this weird scene. We get this weird scene in a graveyard. 
and it goes over like three pages. I just like how it's two yeah. pages. I like how it's paced because it's just this guy digging. Then he hits the coffin. You hear like an owl. Thunk, thunk. You see there's an owl in a tree. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's hooting. And... Mm-hmm. and so we're wondering what he digs up. And then he, he pulls it out. tiny child's yeah. coffin. And it's, it's really weird. very. Yeah. And he just looks at it. When I'm reading this, I'm like, what are you doing, weirdo, digging up a coffin? Yeah. But then it makes sense. Well, later. you're reading a BPRD story, so it's got to be. It's got to have those little X files cold open, yeah, type things. But I mean, doesn't mean I can't ask the question. No, absolutely. <laughs> no, I'm I'm right there with you because it gets you so interested. I think oh, that yeah. that's such a good storytelling. It's to drop you right in the middle of what someone's doing. Like John said, like this cold open X files style is oh, like, yeah. yeah, you're immediately like, I really want to know what's going on. I'm instantly invested in this, and so yeah, it's um, it's there to make you curious. Which I think, uh, who wouldn't be? Right. Aubrey, you know? Right. <laughs> Back at the BPRD, Kate's with that UN guy. She's like trying to make phone calls and stuff. And he's like poking around in all the files. Great. Asking her all these questions. He he's picks up one that her. says Daryl Tynan, right? So that's Daryl the Wendigo. Daryl. He says, this is much different from what I expected. I thought your work was all about monsters, but I see a lot of normal folks in here. Like this family. What was their story? Haunted by a ghost, and it's that picture of Daryl's family, Aww, and she, Kate's like Darryl. something like that. I also like how he talks about how all these files should be digital. It's the twenty first century, so right? And I don't know if anybody's ever worked for a corporation that has files going back decades. Trying to scan all that oh, and God. save it digitally will drive you An insane. Right? That's yeah. Well, that's. I mean, you know, they get all these little interns from the temp agency to do it and stuff no, well no, and they got me to do they it. got you to do it <laughs> until we got to a point where we're like hey we can hire this company and they'll do it right. for us and they'll knock it out in a couple right. weeks which was nice because i was taking it was taking me months well i love her response he's you know he's like uh you know these these files should really all be digital trying to like chastise her and she's like yeah we've got a scanner downstairs you can start anytime <laughs> yeah fucking and love i love kate so much I she's just, not afraid to you know, speak her mind. Sorry, what? I was going to say, I just like like those tiny little moments of things like that because it, uh, if you ever like worked in an office or something like that, that's almost like how it really is. Yeah. That's the reality of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. You're mundane. welcome to do thousands of yeah. hours of work by all means. Right. Yeah. When Kate says something like that, there's a little image of the Wendigo. Did you notice yes. that over her shoulder? Daryl. Yeah. I love Daryl. Johan checks in with this guy, Peter, and we saw this guy briefly at the end of the prologue to the warning. That was that story called Out of Reach where Johan stole the knife off the boot of that guy that was going to kill the were jaguar, and it ended with him looking at this surviving vessel body from the Oan Society in Garden of Souls. Anyway, Peter tells Johan that the stem cell work didn't realize any results on the body, and Johan says he hasn't given up hope. I was wondering... But Peter already knows what he's going to ask. He tells him just to lock up when he leaves. So we get the sense he's been doing this a lot, right? Right. And it looks like somebody's watching him too, right? Mm-hmm. There's this little pelican <laughs> monkey sneaking up, and it's kind of watching Johan. I love him. Over in British Columbia on Forest Service Road 217, we see Abe in the Humvee, and we get some thought boxes. Yeah. We haven't got thought boxes in a while. We talked about this. This was a... It's uh, <laughs> not, this is not that bad. No, this, this is, is not gr- that This bad. is pretty good. I think it's all right. Isn't it only like with Abe when we get to thought boxes, though? Hmm. Well, that other story was with Roger. Oh, right. So, yeah. absolutely not, Aubrey. You're yeah. wrong. <laughs> he does a- get a lot of them, though. Yeah, yeah Abe yeah. notices that there's no sounds in the forest. 
Which would be so creepy. You would yeah. immediately notice there's no insects or birds or anything. Right. And that is that is that would be very creepy. I can't imagine As the tension's rising, Abe like draws his gun. And then on this one page, I really like how he draws it, and then we kind of again see from behind something's coming behind yeah. him. It's very like um a horror shot or Absolutely. something like that. His gun is also rather interesting. It almost mm. The roundness of the barrel mm-hmm. almost kind of makes me think it's more of a um, a trank gun, but Ooh, I maybe. can't say for sure. And oh, yeah. why wouldn't he? Because yeah. why would he want? Yeah, because yeah, of the purpose of the mission is oh, so he's not right. trying to kill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good job. The, who are what the thing that person that he is looking for? Yes, right. he would want to you know subdue and not kill. Such a stun. Exactly. And <laughs> suddenly there's a gunshot, and we see. Ah! What the fuck you think you're doing here, fish man? He says, <laughs> and he's all he's got long scraggly hair, and he's all decked out in his army gear. Uh, yeah, great, great. He, he's gone full survivalist mountain man. Sure. Yeah, exactly. What are you doing here, fish man? And uh, and and I like that, Aubrey. That's actually what it says in the sketchbook that Guy Davis wanted to give him a mountain man. Mountain man. Oh. Yeah. Look. And I thought it was interesting, Guy Davis says, that he drew Daimyo regular, and then when he inked it, he drew the long hair. Drew the, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we get a nice cover to Chapter 2 by Guy Davis. Very exciting. Very exciting. I just say, I like Daimyo with the beard. And he just, I don't know. Yeah, it works well with his (laughs) whole look there. (laughs) Good to have, like you were saying earlier, Aubrey, it's good for things to evolve and and change, and it's not like... uh, well, like a sitcom, right? Where like at the end of the episode, everything goes back to the way it was before. Like this is, you know, it's like real life when, yeah, you know, you you people people age, people change right. their hair, people kind of their entire character undergoes a complete transformation over time, and so you see this progression and you see it ramping up, and so his mountain I, man phase is a very right. yeah. I probably would have been disappointed had he looked like he'd been right. you know. His beard is trimmed. His hair is combed. He's, he's got the high and tight. Yeah, right. he's got his fingernails all clipped. Right, right. <laughs> what would you think if instead he decided to wear like a yellow sweater for a couple months? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, that was that. And it, just like real life, some phases are better than others. Yeah. Some you look back and you're like, "What the fuck was I thinking?" I have a lot of those. So you know, I've I've got some of those myself. And I like here as we start chapter two at the headquarters in Colorado, Kate's kind of sneaking around and she's trying to get away from this wiener. <laughs> Dr. Corrigan, there you are. And the look on her face when, uh, she's when he... She's so annoyed. <laughs> I love how annoyed she is. She's trying to sneak around and she's just so fucking <sighs> like, ugh. He tells Kate they need more people for monitor duty. And she asks why Johan isn't doing it. He said he wouldn't be available, the UN guy says. What, like, what, Kate <laughs> Oh, man. He said he was too busy. Poor Kate. She's just trying to fucking... <laughs> Back in the lab, Johan stares at the body, and the pelican monkey is watching him. So cute. And when it's... he pops his little head in there. Yeah, and he sneaks in the room, and he goes for these keys, so there are all these keys like hung up in this little spot in the room. Wait, wait, wait. Before we go on to this next part, I just want to bring up okay so why can't he sit at monitor duty and have a monitor a camera pointed at the body there He's you go busy. <laughs> you can kill two birds with one stone johan <laughs> or oh oh i'm sorry with one scone. No, i'm sorry, sorry. <laughs> no no you're you're correct i don't want to kill two birds feed two birds with one scone. there you go <laughs> no but Good you're job. absolutely right like you could definitely could uh 
Just point a fucking camera at it. Yeah. But he doesn't. Multitask. Maybe he feels guilty, like he doesn't want people to know that uh, he's monitoring that or watching it or oh, obsessed right. with it. He's obsessed. Yeah, he is. And I don't think he wants. I think Kate. He might think that Kate would be like, "Uh, I don't know about this. This is unhealthy and weird." You yeah. know. But if he was talking about it, maybe they could help him with it. Um, you know, don't keep exactly. That shit yeah, up. <laughs> exactly. And so this a lot of a lot of the pain and suffering from this entire series has been right. We Lack of about communication, that. not especially not uh, acknowledging your shadow side and 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 trying to um, work with that. And when you don't acknowledge it, you can't mm-hmm. you can't work it out. You can't live a, a a life. It poisons every aspect of your life. And so yeah. that's um yep. that's what we're seeing here. Yep. And uh, man, when this little pelican monkey sneaks in there, it's just really cute. He takes oh, the yeah. little keys, and Johan hears the chingle of the keys. And there's I love this <laughs> second panel where they just look at each other. <laughs> That look on his face. Come back here, you little thief! Johan yells as he runs after it. I like how this bottom panel is just yeah. the tail. And he's a very mischievous little guy. Yes, <laughs> I really love how all the motion is. It's just done really well. Yeah. And we cut to Panya. She's in front of the menagerie with all the hybrid animals that we saw in Garden of Souls. He comes and- scrambling down yeah. the hallway, squawking. <laughs> And he jumps in Panya's lap. Aren't we in a hurry, she says. Thieves often find themselves so, Johan says. Excuse me, Panya asks. Thief? There, right in his paw, Johan says. It should be plain that those do not belong to him. And it's a little key, right? And he's uh, he's like hugging her and being all sweet and cute. The and way you- like, like uh, when, uh, you know, like a puppy dog will get in the trash or something you'd be like hey get out of the trash and they'll run to the other person in the house and right oh but he's scared <laughs> just wants snuggles don't be mean you know like uh, we'll always kind of forgive the bad behavior and yeah. i think that that's really uh even the animal behavior in the script is treated very yes yeah, yeah re- realistically and it's very cute and i think um you know another thing like that's clever about this i mean clearly it's ponya but another thing that's clever about this is that birds and monkeys will take shiny things and play with them and they like keys and they like to play with keys like a baby or a smart animal would you know and i think that's um that's something that could be written off as like i was just playing with these he likes shiny jingly keys it's fun to play with and so johan is very um paranoid i think about people like judging him for the thing so he's all Mm. super defensive about it Uh, and that kind of makes it a lot worse like normally he'd be like listen panya what are you planning here right. it seems like you're scheming but his reaction is very violent it's very like Pony, you motherfucker yeah <laughs> what well, the fuck are you doing he snatches these keys away from the animal he's like covetous little goblin he calls it a goblin <laughs> rude and Ponya says to calm down the thing's an animal he didn't act out of malice and Johan's like, right, another one of your precious hybrid animals. You seem to love them more, to have more respect for them than you do your fellow. And he notices something, and he notices, like, the handle of the door is is moving. Because I was kind of tracking this. Well, on it's the... like a jar. Yeah. Well, because, look, on the top oh, panel, yeah. it's closed. And then on the bottom one, it's open. And then on this other one, it's opening yeah. more. I like how she says, oh, he's he's just a sweet baby. He's yeah. just a little, <laughs> like, it's, yeah, this guy needs a name. I'm thinking Gregory. Okay. Or Marbles. <laughs> or let's get some hey damn guys. Yeah, what's listeners, this, what's let, this let, guy's name? Let us know what the pelican monkey's name. We, we want to know his name. But yeah, good catch on that door. I, yeah, uh, I was trying to figure that out. Because uh, when I started reading it, I was just like, how is she able to get this kind of door open when 
the monkey ran right to her to give her the keys. Right. But then the way you pointed out the way it's like closed, turning, opened. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. And so we cut to there in Kate's office. Let the poor deer go to sleep for heaven's sake, Panya says. And this whole part here, so... You know, Johan's accusing Ponya of having false concern, and Ponya's trying to say that the monkey just grabbed the keys. Why make more of it than that? But Johan says, ah, and these are just a coincidence. We're really supposed to believe that? One of these keys opens the door to the former greenhouse. You know, the one where we house all the beasts we rescued from the Indonesian island along with her? And he points to Ponya. And Kate's like, the pelican monkey stole the keys on purpose? preposterous Ponya says <laughs> we know what you do Ponya Johan says you get into the minds of animals of lower intelligence and use their bodies like puppets that's how you contacted us in the first place isn't it and I like how he's gesticulating with yeah. his hands he's all getting himself all worked up he says that she's been trying to release all those creatures but Ponya says what was I going to do with them after all dear you would just round them up and put them back seems like a silly thing for me to do and Johan's like, there, that patronizing tone again. And Casey's just, like, shut up. Yeah, man. Like, they're just like little kids. Yeah, it's really good. And she hasn't had any sleep. And everyone's been commenting on how tired she's been this whole entire time. <laughs> and they fucking awoke her yes. up for this bickering bullshit. Like, yeah. And she lets them have it, right? She tells Johan now with the UN money and the oversight, they have to look at every little thing. My days and my nights are filled with this crap. And Something you wake she, me up she, with this paranoid fantasy. She was saying, yeah, we never would have taken these cases. We never would have right, even looked at yeah. them because we knew they were bullshit. And then now we've got this bureaucratic fucking red tape shit that's forcing us to go through the motions of every little fucking thing that's right. slowing us down. And we already knew that it was, it was going to be a dead end. That's why we didn't go there. And yeah. so, like, she's all pissed off. She hasn't had any sleep. And then, like, you, you know... What the fuck? Why aren't you just doing what you're supposed to be doing? Exactly. Can you help me the fuck out here? Be on monitor duty. A duty you're going to fulfill right now. And he's like, but Catherine. And she goes, and give me those goddamn keys. And she swipes <laughs> them away from him. I love that. So like the pelican monkey swiped the keys. Yeah. Then Johan swiped them from the pelican monkey. Yeah. And then Kate is now. I just think if it was like a. Yeah. If it was like a movie, you would yeah. get that shot three different times. <laughs> and then so Panya's like, ah, oh, good job. Yeah. Getting him the business. And then she's like. You need to shut the fuck up also. <laughs> yeah, she's. I, I love this part where she talks to Panya. Just these two panels right here, or these two pages, just really reinforce how much I love Kate. I yeah. Mean, she's probably one of my favorite characters in the whole series. It's just like, and then when she just loses it and just like, I'm tired of your fucking shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just like, go, Kate, go. Yeah. She's trying to hold everything together and no one yeah. ever helps her out. And it's just Everybody's so got their own agendas. Frustrating. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It just makes me love her. The yeah. unsung hero, really, of the series. And she tells Panya that the monkey pelican is not enough for her. If you want something, you can't just take it. That's not the way things run around here. Cut the crap, Panya. You've been doing your best to stay on the fringes of our group for months. Either you're part of the team or you're not. Figure it out. Now get out and let me sleep. And we cut to Johan. I like how he's got his arms crossed. He's like all after all, the, <laughs> after this just happened, uh, it's a very good pose for him. And he's watching this thing on the TV. Yeah, the body language is is something that's so important. Yeah, that tell yeah. it really tells the story. And and I think that that's just so ugh, another way that they that uh, Guy Davis is just really right brings these stories to life. You know. And we cut to on the monitor. 
they're showing the Salton Sea monster and this reverend, Reverend <laughs> Nedden, is going on and on. Boom. And he's talking about how, you know, we caused all this. It's because of all of our sins. It's because uh, of the pagans. Right. The way that we mock God. And then so the guy is going back and forth with him. He says, I'm sorry, but you can't point the finger at America this time. But he is convinced. He says, that's where you're wrong. But then you're right, Patrick, because it isn't only America. All over this once blessed earth, you've got people acting like barbarians, killing and oppressed. We also kind of talked about this like, this is what exactly what the Black Flame talked about. He said that people are going to see this as part of their, as yeah. reinforcing their yeah. religious yeah. beliefs. And they're going to spin it in their head however they can do it so that way they can serve their own beliefs. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like... Uh, my favorite part about this is the gaslighting aspect of like, my institution's done the most killing and oppressing, but I'm going to go ahead and say that everyone else is doing the killing right. and oppressing instead. And that's what's making the world bad. And it's like, dude, please. But it's um, it's like you said, it's something that it's it's the reality of whenever something big and horrible and major happens that's worldwide news. Everyone comes out and says, it's God, he's angry at you sinners. And, and, and that's just the way that people rationalize it. Right. And there's never going to change. And it's not going to be, no one's, the world's not just going to wake up one day and say, oh, let's use common sense. That's not, you know, right. it doesn't yeah. happen that way. You get fucking, you know, you get dickheads like this on TV that's uh, talking about all this whatever. And I really... Uh, it's just, I like these little doses of reality right, that they put yeah, into the story yeah, that's yeah. like, oh, now we got to deal with this shit. And it, it's sad that uh, it, it just, it's like after every natural disaster, you get one of these yeah. good old boy reverend preachers yeah. talking about how it's the evilness of America. Sure. Blah, blah, blah. Right. So annoying. But I, I think it also, it illustrates to us that this is a global issue now. It's, yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, the BPRD were kind of trying to keep it under wraps. Even Abe was afraid to mention the frogs when they were in Munich and now it's just everywhere. It's just every and so everybody's be, chiming in on it. Yeah. And having it be public knowledge and having CNN get these giant shots of this giant monster and all this stuff is um I think it puts the story on the next level. Yeah. Of like, oh shit, this isn't just like Exactly. We're a secret. No one's ever gonna know about this and you know, Mulder and Scully having having adventures. It's like, no, the whole world sees this monster and yeah, now yeah. we have to deal with that. And I always really enjoyed movies that were like, okay, what actually happens during the apocalypse? Let's get into that. Right, yeah. yeah. And that's always what I want to fucking see. It's like, yeah, the aliens came to Earth and they shot everything up. Or is it, okay, the aliens came to Earth and now we have to figure out what to do mm -hmm. and how to talk to them and how to be those movies were all, always really interesting to me so this is kind of in yeah. the same vein of like you're gonna get people on the news talking about whatever sinners yeah. and crap and it's just uh they have to deal with not only the um yeah the monster but it's not a big smash em up explosion jet fighter thing it's also the politics of it and mm -hmm. the fucking bureaucracy yeah, of exactly. it and that's you know oh man that's how it would be and we cut to these rednecks. They're watching it on TV, and they're saying racist things. And <laughs> this one guy comes in with some groceries, and he gets after the other guy for watching TV when she's asleep. And the blonde guy says, he's got an equal vote. And the guy says, nuh-uh, boy, her in there, she'd be the only one who got any vote. Get yourself clear on that. And then the guy leaves. He's like, "Ah, oh, fuck this shit, man. <laughs> and I like, he drives uh... away. And over in British Columbia, we have Abe and Daimyo. 
and Abe's in front of the fire smoking his cigar. I could hear you coming from almost a mile away, he tells Daimyo. And I could see your fire from 20 miles away, he tells Abe. I like that. My fire. You lit it. Good cigar, by the way. Doesn't fit with your whole survivalist image, does it, though? And Daimyo says, don't know about that. I sure as hell couldn't survive without him. He, he may be living up in the woods, but he's still going to have his fine cigars. Yeah, and Daimyo mentions that he had his secrets, right? He Boundaries are, are important, Abe. Good fences make good neighbors. So he was able to get some of his equipment to be out there. And he tells Abe that he took a risk coming out there looking for Bigfoot, looking for him when he saw sightings for Bigfoot in the area. Abe says that he was actually thinking that Daryl had killed Daimyo and that his soul was inside the Wendigo now. And Daimyo takes out his cigar and he throws it into the fire and he addresses all that stuff that happened in Killing Ground, right? He says, look, Abe, that wasn't me. I never could have done any of that, ever. His expression, his face, like yeah. his sad, pained face. As he's yeah. looking at all the carnage. Well, no, when he's well above that, when he's, oh, he's yeah. looking at his cigar and he's throwing it in, he's kind of sitting there all, you know, just the, the pain and the sadness in his face as he's about to start talking. But then, yeah, on the bottom panel, when it's all red and his, yeah. he's, uh, yeah, that's also very expressive and very scary and creepy as well. Yeah. I was trapped inside that thing, Daimyo says, seeing it all happen, seeing its claws rip into my men, but it wasn't me. And Abe says he wouldn't have come if he thought it was. Well, he wouldn't have come alone if he right. thought it was. And also, you know, he, he made sure, he made a point of using his name, Ben. Right, so, yeah. You know, like that's his we, very vulnerable reply. Okay. okay. Yeah. Thanks. Like it's very, you don't see Daimyo yeah. being vulnerable. Right, being, we really haven't seen that. Uh, showing emotion and, 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 and being, uh, you know, deep down, he's a kind-hearted man who appreciates his friends, and that is expressed in these tiny little words here. And yeah. that is um, so effective. Yeah, it really moment. is. And it's a Daryl. We see the Wendigo watching them. I right? love Daryl. And Abe says that he was looking for Daimyo because he thought he might need help, and he knew Daimyo wouldn't come to them looking for it. And I still won't go back with you, Daimyo says. You can't expect me to face those men again. Or Kate, or Liz, or Johan. This is where I belong now, out here where there's no one to hurt. And Abe mentions the town and how there there was nobody there. Well, he was he was saying, yeah, I almost forgot. A few hours ago, I was in this town, and uh, he Damio says, oh yeah, Marakikos or Marakios or whatever. Yeah. He's like, uh, oh, yeah, you know. And he's like, yeah, why else would I be practicing lousy light discipline? Right. Like, <laughs> it reminds us that he's he is a, he is a veteran. Yeah, he's a soldier. He's... He uh, he know he knows how to be in the woods and how to sneak around and how to um you know not, right, not yeah. get caught by yeah. a sniper or another soldier. But he's just saying like, yeah, why else would I be lighting a fucking fire? I'm not an idiot. And so I like that he's like, yeah, it happened a few weeks ago. There's no one in the town. There's no sign of anyone. Right. And uh, you know, Abe is saying just like the forest. I haven't heard any animals. It's really weird and. You know, uh, something's out there. I felt it before. Something that pulled at me. It almost hurt. Daniel's like, don't start, Abe. (laughs) He's like, when did I ever stop? This is my job. You do know what's going on in the world. And Daniel's like, I know. The whole thing's gone to shit. But see, I've heard how the Bureau's been handling things. A whole battalion wiped out in China. I won't let that happen here. You won't let that happen, Abe says. So you never stopped either. No. Listen, I got a lot of ghosts looking over my shoulder, waiting for me to make things right, Daimyo says. 
And this is where I can do that. Here, nowhere else. So yeah, there is something out there, but I can handle it. And if I can't, who cares if I die? So I'm starting to get the impression that he's like, I want to make things right and this is how I can do it and you can't convince me otherwise. And it's um, he's the whole who cares if I die thing is he's looking not only for... um Some sort a, of salvation. Salvation or a way to forgive himself, but he's also like, yeah, and if I die, then that'll be an appropriate punishment for me i deserve it and it's sort of so that's his mindset and abe is you know he's trying to convince him no we love you and he's like no i deserve to be in the woods and it's very uh, yeah two brothers so daimyo says he'll fill abe in on the rest tomorrow right now let's get some shut eye and so they lie down in front of the fire and we see the wendigos just watching them and i love this bottom panel where it's just showing his eyes it's a very animal but yet there's a sign of intelligence. Right, yeah. And, you know, it's like yeah. it's... Um, cause Do so much with just that panel, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, just the way that the, the flames are in his eyes. And yeah. There yeah. is still an expression there of emotion. Like, yeah. it's very... In the morning, Daimyo takes Abe to a black lake. The locals call it Hell's Kettle. It's bottomless, supposedly. Anyway, this is the center of it all, Daimyo says. All those bad vibes come from right here. And it only started a month ago. Been trying to figure it out, but that tannic water, black as tar, there's just no way to know what's down there. Do you think that they're sensitive to that, whatever, psychic psychic energy or whatever it is, that, that feeling because they work so often in the paranormal? Or yeah, do you, maybe. Or I don't do you know. think that it would affect anyone in a similar way? I and don't, maybe may, they just... Maybe it's like a little bit of both. It'll affect yeah. anybody, but because they work in it, they're yeah. used to it. They're and attuned kind of, to it. Yeah. And someone who wouldn't be necessarily working with paranormal stuff so often wouldn't be so attuned right. to it. So they would get kind of a weird feeling, but they would be like, huh, guess it's nothing. I shouldn't pay attention to it. But if you're used to paying attention to it and then getting yeah. something out of it, you're behaviorally right. honed yeah. to think, huh, I have a weird feeling. Maybe I should investigate that. And it's sort of heightened. Yeah. Okay. I, I think also like, you know, Abe is like kind of like a fish man or he's got some other sure. stuff in him. And then Daimyo is this... Sure. jaguar so yeah. they both have like a weird thing other things on. but then it also makes me think of when that frog monster was making that one dude throw up and be sick uh-huh. you know what yeah. i mean in that one story so i don't know i wonder if any if everybody would feel that too or because i think like maybe you would uh but then you or maybe it would be so subtle to you that you wouldn't pick up on it you just like you get a general feeling of creeped outedness, but you just sort of brush it off and right. yeah. don't really, And you know. Anyway, sorry. It's just a little... Yeah, and I just like this part where Daimyo says there's no way to know what's down there, and Abe's like, well, there's one way, and he starts taking off like he's going to go in the water. <laughs> and Daimyo's like, lucky you showed up, isn't it? And Abe goes, you know, there is equipment people use to do just this sort of thing. You realize that. And Daimyo says, no shit, do me a favor then. Bring me some on your next <laughs> visit. <laughs> It's really good. I love that moment. And uh, Abe dives in, and we get this full page of just all these human remains. And there's even like a cow in there. Yeah, it's just everything's dead. It's just a, the water is just full of death. Yeah, when I uh, turn the page from that like hilarious moment of like yeah. Daimyo and Abe quipping back and forth each yeah. other, and all of a sudden it's like, ha ha ha, fuck. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the motion of him diving underneath yeah. is, is uh, yeah. And you can, I like, 
the colors also that Dave Stewart does because you can see like mm-hmm. you can't see anything through it. It's just black from the top too. Yeah. So really cool chapter three. I hope that Abe like t- wanted to. T- I mean, took a bath after that because I mean that just seems so right. nasty and gross. Well, there was even another one where um, there was another one where after after going into Venice the waters there he had to like get in his tub for three days or something like that or he mentioned that we open in lynn british columbia and we're at a diner and so this woman walks in she's got like a baby in like all swaddled up and then she's with the sheriff and that's the sheriff from the beginning of the story yeah yeah the car oh i didn't notice that i thought it was just a random yeah and so he says that they'll start with coffee and a menu and then there's these other guys. They're talking. The the waitress is saying, "Oh, look at your cute little baby!" And she's like, oh, "No, no, 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 no. Yeah. do not." I forgot know. about that. And yeah. so it's very. She's very. It's, it's a little weird. Yeah, yeah. So. that's a, it. Sets up that little weird thing. And so then uh, these these two guys were uh, over here looking at that interaction, and this guy was like, "Hey, what the fuck is that all about?" And right. this guy's like, "Ah, oh, yeah, who knows? You know, new new mamas are edgy, and he's coughing. He's coughing more and more." And he's like coughing so hard that his friend starts to get really uh, scared. Like, oh, are you choking? And, right. You know, uh, he's but he's throwing up all this gross stuff. So he's not choking. He's like barfing up all this horrible stuff. And yeah, you know. Yeah. And so they're all panicking. All the other people from the diner come over to attend to him, and they call over for the sheriff. Officer, hey, officer, we got an emergency over here. This man can't breathe. Officer. And we just see the sheriff. His uh-huh. eyes are just all black, so and creepy. he's just non-responsive, holding that coffee cup up. Sorry, I'm sorry. That is just a really creepy pro- progression. Go ahead. Jim. Oh yeah, and we cut to Houston, Texas, uh-huh. coming H-Town. to you live from inside a volcano. Oh, no, uh, well, <laughs> it ain't like that, is it? Jeez. Uh, right when the the woman first walks in the diner, you you hear one of those guys that one. Yeah, like, Houston isn't. You heard what happened there, right? We talking about yeah. like you know, the. All that shit going on. And then I was like, what's going on in Houston? And then, bam. They tell you right there. Boo. Volcano eruption kills millions. With new reports of strange and deadly creatures appearing in as yet intact outskirts of the city. A volcano, but that wasn't there yesterday, Kate says. And the UN guy is kind of freaking out. He says his aunt lives in Houston. And he kind of has a moment where he's like, I need to call my dad or whatever. And Kate's like, are you listening to me? Someone's got to go down there. And he says, and Texas, it was already a problem for us. (laughs) People there think the UN is using these disasters to take over the country. FEMA will handle the destruction, but obviously we have to look into these creatures. I can get every agent available, but we'll strip their BPRD emblems. Better they appear to be standard armed forces. Still, a top-level BPRD official needs to handle all the press, deflect conspiracy theorists, and maintain sanity. And they both look at Johan. And there's just this moment and Johan's like, me? A cloud of steam in a spacesuit with a German accent? That is how you intend to calm things in Texas? <laughs> so Kate says she'll do it. She's like, I get it. Just give me a chance to pack. Johan, that makes you senior officer on site. You'll be in charge. Think you can handle it? I shall do my best, Johan says. Uh, why? Back with Abe and Daimyo. Abe's dragging these dead bodies from the black water. And Daimyo's like, see, see, Abe, this is what I was afraid of. Your damn bureaucratic approach. Didn't I make it clear? I don't want RCMP or anyone else in on this. And so that's the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Yeah, the Mounties. The Mounties, Mounties. yeah. 
And so Abe is like trying to look for clues and Daimyo's like, you know, if we had Johan here and then right then Abe finds a clue. I kind of like that moment. It's almost like Abe is like, we don't need Johan. Yeah. yeah. I can I can figure this out. And I like this idea that, you know, Abe, he's got skills. Like yeah. he has detective skills. He knows how to do things. He's got like procedures and stuff. They find the idea of this guy and he was from that Marquios town. So they're just going to go back and look for a phone. And Daimyo says, not yet. I want to pick up some friends first. <laughs> and so we see he's got all his gear. He's got some grenades and a shotgun and some other weapons. Well, if we're going to do this at all, I guess we should do it in person, Daimyo says. Got to wonder, though, how do you think they'll take this kind of news from a strange, hairy mountain man? <laughs> It'll be better coming from a human being than from me, won't it, Abe says. So what's the nearest town after Marquios? Lynn, Daimyo says. And so that's that town where we saw that yeah. scene from the diner. And so they pull up to that diner and they think it'll be abandoned. But Daimyo says, no, look, we're good. And he sees the people. And so it's that woman with the baby again. But now it's the guy that yeah. was vomiting. Yeah. The, the guy in the green flannel is with her instead of the cop. So creepy. Hey, folks, can you tell me where to find the sheriff's office? Daimyo says. And he looks at them and they kind of go back into the diner and close the door. And Daimyo's just like, oh, fuck no. Yeah. Start the engine. Start the engine now. And this next page, oh, my God, Guy <laughs> Davis. It's like, I wonder where these ideas come yeah. from. You know what I mean? Like his monsters just get better and better, it seems like. And yeah. I just love this giant pullout. And you just see this monster just completely demolishing the diner from inside. But yeah, the movement of him exploding out of this building. Right. Yeah. And that monster is just so fucking creepy. <laughs> I love that. With the, those massive row of teeth and tentacles that look like they have claws on the end of it. Yeah. So we cut to Kate. She's in the plane now, and she's telling the UN guy all the stuff that he's going to have to do. The daily video briefings. He, she's He's going to have to take care of payroll because Johan will never do that. Poor Kate. It's just, it's it's like you, you know, it's that thing where the, the mom is like, has to go out of town for a day, and she's like... All right, can you please just remember to like feed the kids something besides <laughs> cheese and make sure that the oh and you have to, to feed the dog and make right. sure that the you know she's so much rests on her shoulders. She does the job of like 10 people with no help and she has to remember to do all these fucking things. And she's like, "Can you remember to pick up the thing and remember to do the thing and she, Kaylee has to go to band practice and remember this and that and the other and you know, it's just it's a very reminiscent of like the one parent trying to tell the other parent, like, please make sure not to blow up the house. Right. And also goes back to pointing to like running. things, you know, this is how like an office works, you know, yes. payroll, briefings, right. all this yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And like if, if she's not there to do it, it apparently doesn't fucking get done, right. which is rude. But yeah. And he's Very like typical of working in an office. Sure, yeah. Sure. And he's like, relax, Dr. Corrigan. Johan's not so difficult. He's on monitor watch as we speak. Call me when you land in Texas. And he goes in there and Panya's at the monitor, right? She's like, oh, hello. You know, I never did get your name, mm. which I thought it was a funny line because I don't, this guy's never given a name. No. I was looking for his name as yeah. I was doing my notes and they never name him. He's just this UN wiener. <laughs> Where's Johan, he asks. And we see Johan is back again in, in the watching this body. And now they've updated the security access. So this guy, Peter, he's kind of showing Johan how they have a new keypad. Sure, but with all the UN money, why not convert all the doors to keypad locks? Anyway, thanks for spelling me. 
My pleasure, Peter Johan says. Enjoy your lunch. So I guess he let that guy go to lunch so that way he could stay there with the body. Right. Is, is that what thanks for spelling me means? Because I have no idea. I've never heard I've that. I've never heard that phrase. Yeah, either. I guess it was kind of saying like, thanks for relieving me or sure, something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. We cut back to Abe and Daimyo, and they're just trying to get away from this monster. They drive off in the Humvee, and Daimyo's reaching for his guns, and Abe's like, wait, what about that couple? And Daimyo says, they're the last ones needing help here. Now let's go. And this action scene with Daimyo is just so awesome. It goes for a couple pages, but basically the monster knocks over the Humvee. Daimyo gets out and just starts shooting at it. And he's it starts running after him. It's so close behind him, too. Yeah. It just makes it really suspenseful. Daimyo runs into this house, and he says, Anyone still alive in this house? Better get out now. And the monster just starts demolishing this house. And I love this panel in the middle here where it shows it like from the outside view yeah. of the monster just on top of these buildings. It's just so massive. And just all the little detail in the destruction is done really well. It gives it a lot of movement. Daimyo runs towards the back of the house and he's like, for Christ's sake, what kind of country builds houses without back doors? Let's see if you can kill me, motherfucker. And he just starts shooting at it with both guns, both guns going. And it's just so awesome. The the panel where he whipping out the two guns is very reminiscent of like a John Woo movie. You know? Yeah. I can definitely see Chai on Fat and the Killers doing something like that. Flock of doves flies by. Oh my god, we need this. <laughs> Suddenly, a truck crashes through and it's Abe in there. He says, get into the back. I brought some of your friends. And back there, all of Daimyo's weapons are back there. And he's like, you sure did. He gets a grenade and he throws it at the monster as they drive away. What would I do without friends, he says. I love that. So cool. Such a cool moment. I really love these pages with um, Abe and Daimyo against this monster. We cut back to the diner. We see it's all demolished now. And we see the woman again. This time she's alone and she's got that baby swaddled. She just walks off with it. You're going to have to tell me something right now. Where the hell you learn how to hotwire a truck, Daimyo asks Abe. Interesting way to phrase that question. Hellboy taught me, he says. It's not the Bureau's SOP, but he thought it was important to know. And so that's standard operating procedure. Right. Mm-hmm. Hellboy, eh? I got to meet that guy, Daimyo says. <laughs> I like his ex- expression on his face. Uh, he's like, that sounds like a kind of guy I want to want to meet. But yeah. So it's interesting because Daimyo definitely would have learned how to hotwire a truck being in the... F- Field, being in action, right? being a soldier in, in Vietnam and all this stuff, like, you know, he would have known how to do that. So he's wondering, like, hey, Abe, where the fuck did you learn how to do that? You know, like, so <laughs> he's thinking they have more in common than initially he thought. And so that's kind of letting their bond grow stronger. But then also keeping Hellboy in the reader's yeah, mind yeah. is really, you know, and Diamond's like, yeah, I got to meet that guy. And so we wonder, it's it leaves us wondering, like, uh, yeah will they is that you know what's gonna sound? right I yeah like, I, I like that very much i think that's a good and uh, i i, I want to see the story where hellboy teaches abe how to hotwire car yeah. i want to see what that was like <laughs> when uh daimyo says i gotta meet that guy the first thing i thought of was like the new movie and how he's in the new movie oh, oh yeah, yeah. you're right good. that's awesome but also mm-hmm. i just want to point out like these last few pan- pages and panels and this whole story it just reminds me of how much i really enjoyed daimyo and um Abe together, you yeah, know, interacting together. It's really good, and I felt like we didn't get a lot of that when he was still part of the BPRD because you know Abe was off being all moody. Yeah, <laughs> we did get their team up for the Garden of Souls. Yeah, yeah, we we did get like a little team up there, which I thought was pretty good. Well, it, it felt like once we started getting the two of them together, all of a sudden Daimyo, the Were Jaguar, takes over Daimyo. Right. Yeah. Like, Good 
damn it. <laughs> no, it's good. It's a good reunion. Yeah. And, you know, when we read Garden of Souls and Abe was in that little boat and he was smoking the cigar, it made me think of Hellboy. But now after reading this, like maybe he was it was more daimyo influence sure. with the cigar. Yeah. Anyway, I just like that, too. I like their relationship. And so Abe reminds Daimyo that the offer's still open. No, Daimyo says, BPRD is your deal now, not mine. It's what I've been trying to tell you. And so Daimyo, he hears something. He tells Abe to be quiet. They go up to their fire, and they see a guy there. And he says, please stop whispering. You don't have to worry. I'm not here for you. I'm here for my son. And it's that guy that we saw digging up that little casket. Yeah. Yeah. So now he's found their camp out and he he was there waiting for them. Chapter four and we get Daryl the Wendigo on the cover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A great cover too. Yeah. Daimyo. Anyway, so Abe and Daimyo, they meet with this man. His name is Mr. Kinnell. He tells them he doesn't know how it happened. He just knows what happened. And so he tells them the story. I was stationed over in Fort Furman when my orders came through to ship out. I'd been expecting it. Nessa, she's my wife, was seven months pregnant, though. I hated to leave. But I did. Went and started my tour. Yeah, 12-month tour. And I wasn't even in the country two weeks. And it shows his tank getting blown up. IED. Tore my left leg up big time. Not an overnight stay, you see. And by then, Nessa couldn't fly anymore. Wrote me every day, almost. Except the day Jackson was born, of course. So I missed that, but I got home as soon as I could. If you could call it a home. Nessa said Jackson was sick, wouldn't let me anywhere near him. She, on the other hand, never left his side. It was weird, and I started thinking maybe Nessa was the one who was sick. So there's like Munchausen, right? Like that's yeah. like one of those. Yeah. There's there's like, um, you know, certain psychological things that can happen sometimes when after birth. Sure, or whatever, yeah, right? totally. And those are things that you can definitely seek help for if you're experiencing what's the postpartum, thing? Depression. postpartum depression and all yeah. that stuff. And so... <clears throat> You can reach out, and that is, you know, hopefully the stigma about that will go away. But it turns out that's not what she's dealing with here. It's something way, way worse. And there's really not a BPRD you can call for that. So if a horrible Lovecraftian monster takes the place of your child, (laughs) please run away. Yeah. And so uh, he's still telling his story, and he says that he called Nessa's sister, and the sister kind of filled him in on what happened. So I guess she told him that the baby didn't make it, right, right or and something. Like, yeah. Hey, your son's dead. Right. Did she not tell you that? And so he drove home to confront Nessa to hear what was really going on, but she was asleep, which was better, I figured. It gave me a chance to find out the truth. And so we see he pulls the cover off of the baby, and then she knocks him in the back with a bottle. When I woke up, she was gone, but she'd called an ambulance. Cops wanted me to file charges, so I did that, just to shut him up. But I'd already worked out another plan. And his plan was to dig up the little the little baby, right? Yeah, to well, he was thinking maybe he could shock her out of it right. to yeah. confronting the truth, and maybe she would realize, like, you know, this is reality and all that stuff. And it's such a grim, yeah. desperate right. plot. Yeah. Like, it's just so fucking it's awful yeah it's intriguing and terrible and yeah abe asks why are you out here then with our camp and the guy says that nessa is still using the credit cards and she bought breakfast in a town marquios near here it's empty nessa was there and a few hours everybody's gone last night from the road i saw your fire and so that's like another that's also tying up that that thing that we're (laughs) learning When you showed up, I knew you're part of the Paranormal Bureau. I saw you on TV. And so that was mentioned once, too, that there was a press conference with Abe and Daimyo. Yeah. 
you're here to fight monsters. You're here because of my Nessa. Those folks that disappeared, she did that, didn't she? And so Abe's putting it together. The woman that they saw in Lynn, that's what you meant. And so they hear something. Mr. Kennel pulls his gun and they turn around and they see the monster. It's coming. It's crashing down the trees. There's another AK in my duffel, he says. Ammo too. I came prepared. Just as all this action is about to play out, we cut back to the BPRT Bureau. <laughs> and this little wiener from the UN, now he's calling Kate back after he was like, relax, <laughs> I can take care of it. Now he's calling her. That's why I called you. I don't know where he is. Panya was covering for him when I walked into the monitoring center. And I just shipped out every other agent to you. But if Panya was there... Why didn't you ask her to work monitor duty until you found Johan? She was tired. She didn't say that, but she looked tired. My God, isn't she over a thousand years old? God, hilarious, Kate says. Yes, indeed, Ponya the Puppet Master. Mm, so she just already knows what's going right. on. Right. And it's a very Jedi mind trick kind of. Yeah. I'm too old to be working the monitors. <laughs> <laughs> You're too old to be working the monitors. <laughs> And so Kate reminds them that the crew that came back from Washington doesn't ship out till morning. Go ahead and wake up Carla Jiroko. She'll cover for you. Just tell her it's a personal favor from me. We cut over to Johan, and he's in that room with the body again. And he's got a book. He's still kind of watching it. And suddenly there's like a beep coming from the machine. Johan turns around startled. Brainwave function? And the body puts its hand up on the glass, mm, right? I don't like that. And he freaks out. He's like, yes, yes, he moved, he moved. And he like hugs the tube. It. He hugs the tube that the body's in. I like the sneaky little. <laughs> did he now? We see Ponya. That's awful, so though. That's awful that she's doing that to him. Really not okay. It's terrible. Super mean. I feel like. It, it, it's like Panya is like what three thousand years old, and Johan is definitely up there as a ghost scheme bag. <laughs> Why are they the ones acting the most childish? Yes, <laughs> that's a great point. Well, uh, she she did it to distract him, right? Like she's trying to distract him, or did she do it just to be mean? I don't know. That's a good point. I wonder if it's just. I'm wondering if it's like part of a greater plan she's yeah. got going on, where she's trying to distract him so she can go do this other thing and. Or she wants him to think that it's waking up for some other manipulative reason or something. But if it's just to play with his emotions and be mean, that is super terrible. Yeah. Come on. Uh, I think he probably does have a little bit of plan, but she's also getting enjoyments out of playing with his emotions. Right, yeah. Rude. I I thought initially that she was just uh, deriving pleasure out of the fact that like my plan is working and I'm succeeding. But yeah, she's laughing at like, how he's so excited that this thing is moving and it was right. really just hurt. That is so mean. We cut back to Abe, Daimyo, and Mr. Kennel. They're fighting this monster. And so I noticed that Abe's gun has yeah. like a blue. I was about to say. Right, yeah. We were talking about how his gun is different. And you can that. even see where he's hitting the monster too. Yeah. I like how it has a different shot there. It's very G.I. So, Joe with all the different lasers. Yeah, and, <laughs> and these panels are so awesome. I mean, it's a double page of just this monster coming down on them. Really great. And he doesn't, he's all, he's out of grenades. Right. And he tells Abe, I told you to keep out of this. And Abe's like, shut up and give me a gun already. And so they keep fighting. The monster kind of swipes Mr. Kennel away. Is that Kennel or Daimyo? No, he swipes Daimyo away. And then he's just like, y'all, give me back my wife. Yeah. I want to get my wife back. And so it's kind of my wife. Yeah. Sorry. 
And while all this is happening... Well, Daimyo gets... Like you said, he just got hit by the monster. Right. And then there's this just all red panel of him turning into the weird Jaguar god monster. Yeah. And so I wonder if that was... Is that the... Is that the Jaguar trying to come out and protect him because he's in a yeah, state of high I think stress? So. And yeah, stuff? maybe. Yeah. This is a very creepy panel. Right. And so just then Abe runs out of bullets. And then from behind, he hears this sound. And it's Daryl, the Wendigo. So it, I like this setup too because it makes you think that it's going to be the Jaguar yeah. Yeah. coming to save Abe, but it's really Daryl coming out. Yeah, this is an awesome reveal. We get to see Daryl the Wendigo Yay, again. Yay, Daryl, I love him. This is a great, uh, I love the splash page. It's a great action shot. It's really good. I'm really, I love the final, because they had tried to put him in the story a little bit earlier. Right, and so, yeah. Like you said, it's a good, uh, it's a great moment. Yeah. It's a good reveal. Yeah. But also, I just want to point out, I think we kind of skipped over, this other guy just got crunched to death by the monster. Oh, yeah. As well, which is kind of a... Oh, yeah, yeah. he did. He got crunched underneath him. Yeah, so he sure did. There's Mr. Kennel's gone. Yeah. I also wanted to give praise to this panel where Daryl pops up, you know, just like, I don't know, it's just something about it. It's like, woo. Yeah. This particular story had a lot of those turn yeah. the page, and you're like, yeah. oh, my God. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I love those. And I... uh I cheered like a little kid when I saw Daryl. Yeah. He's got a special uh, place in my heart. And he's biting this monster and all this green goop is coming out. Yeah, he bites off one of the tentacles. It's pretty gross. It's pretty savage. He seems more animalistic than the last time that we saw him. The look and the response on Abe is not like one of fear or anything. He's like, Daryl? Yeah. Yeah. It's very like, oh, it's Daryl. I'm super confused. (laughs) Right. And so Daimyo's running off from from this whole thing. That's right, he says. She's here. That thing didn't follow us. Followed her. Pump bullets into the monster all night. Where'll that get us? He's uh, running through all this forest. I just like this part. I like how pissed he is. He's like, you bitch. (laughs) It's you. (laughs) You're here, and I swear... And so he gets whacked across the head, and we see the woman there. Shades of earlier, right? She, right. That's her, she that's, keeps, that's she, her main strategy. <laughs> just hit people on the head with yeah. stuff. Yep. It's been pretty effective so far. Mm-hmm. And we finally get a look at this baby, right? What did you think of this? Uh, you knew it was going to be something yeah, like that, Yeah, I mean, that, you definitely right? knew it, but it's just a very... <laughs> it's so fucked up. Little Lovecraft yeah. monster baby. Yeah. We cut back to the Wendigo fighting the monster, and so Abe is there. He's found the ammo, and he's shooting at it again, but he's wondering where Ben went. Daimyo says what you were just saying, oh, yeah, Danielle. Right. He <laughs> says, you really got a thing for cracking guys over the skull, eh? You and that freak puppy there. <laughs> and so they have a fight. Daimyo's able to wrestle her away. And so this is really cool right here as uh, this little baby weird monster falls to the ground. Like this little smoke starts to come out of it. He's breathing out a ghost. And then it kind of turns into this thing that's kind of rising up behind Daimyo. So Daimyo's like, he knocked the lady out. He thought he could save you, but not me. I know better. He points his gun at her as this thing is kind of rising from behind and he's gonna he's gonna get the job done like, oh yeah you know, no yeah got no reservations about just executing this woman chapter five and we get this really grotesque guy davis cover it's Amazing. so awesome yeah this opening page with abe running away from the monster is so awesome <laughs> and so abe is still trying to fight this thing single-handedly and he's wondering where Ben is. And we cut over and Ben's being overtaken by this monster. Okay, so I this made me think of... Remember when we... That story came up earlier, The Dead. Do you mm-hmm. remember that one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, in the very beginning of that story, there was this weird X-Files moment. And I don't think yeah. it ever paid off. 
I was thinking about it. So they found a little statue thing and it started and a little worm came out of it and they started releasing this smoke and then it started taking up all the officers and then they shot at it with flamethrowers and then that was it. Yeah. That was the end of that scene. And it's the same kind of little thing here. Yes. When we read that story, I thought it was like a little Cthulhu statue. But now I think it was one of these mini uh-huh. Ogdruhems yeah. or whatever, uh-huh. kind of like what this one is. Because it's kind of the, sa- the same thing that it's doing to Daimyo is what it did to those cops. I also saw, I also thought about ah. the, the Black Oil, the X-Files. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's illustrated uh, a little differently because the... Black oil would move over the whole eye, and this is just kind of bit behind the eye, right? So, yeah. but it's still a very. Uh, it's a good way to indicate that something fucked up is going on. Their their brain's been taken over yeah. by a different force. You know, it's a very. And we get this vision. I like how this first panel. It's like surrounded by the tentacles, like the tentacles are yeah. framing it or something, right? Mm-hmm. And we see the funeral of the baby. And we see that the woman, she's visiting the grave multiple times because she's in different clothes every time. Mm-hmm. So it's like she keeps going there. And as she's going there, we see these two monsters. So one of them looks like that little baby thing, and the other one looks like that giant monster that Abe's fighting, right? Yeah. This mm-hmm. is so weird. Yeah. I am just so weirded out by this storyline. <laughs> so there's little like embryos, right? And they they grew inside of her as she was mourning this dead baby yeah. over and over. We cut back to the present where this monster has Daimyo taken over. But what the ghost monster doesn't know yeah. is that Daimyo <laughs> is a sort of a were jaguar ancient god thing yes. and so that mixture is having some some issues back over to you john yeah so, <laughs> so he starts turning into the were jaguar and during all this he fires a bullet from his gun and it kind of releases him from this monster well because right? he's he's still that's i think the power of that were jaguar yeah. is giving him enough power to kind of wrestle his mind away from yeah. this thing that's trying to take over his actions and so these two competing forces he's still got enough control over his actions to to get a round off and that's what right prompts yeah. the the ghost monster to let go of him right and stuff so that's really well done and when he falls this ghost monster image behind him is just so incredible like oh it's amazing all these monsters that guy davis draws he the one from the salt well, and, and sea dave, dave stewart has oh, a lot to do stewart with the way that this looks it's like transparent yeah. and stuff like that and just the art in this series has been so amazing yeah. we talk about these action beats and these monsters but it really doesn't do it justice. It's no, just so yeah. hard to describe this mass of like the line art and the coloring and coming together and to really eyeballs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Damio falls to the ground. He starts transforming into the Were Jaguar. And I love this bottom panel as like those things are starting to come out. Those Ugh. like weird neck oh, the, bone things or whatever. Yeah, when he dropped down and those bones popped out, I'm like, yeah. oh. Fuck, things yeah. are about to get heavy. And then this ghost monster, whatever, it just like dissipates into, into the, the air. Into the ether. Yeah. So that's probably not good, right? <laughs> is that good or is that bad? Oh, no, probably not. But behind it leaves just like a, a skeleton. Yeah, yeah like a just skeleton. like a So I was I was wondering though, as Daimyo's being dragged up by the ghost smoke monster thing and he fires the gun and it drops, did the bullet hit the monster no the woman oh, oh yeah it hit right. the woman yeah. yeah yeah and that's what was uh tethering right, 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 right. Yeah. that spirit to this plane of existence i think and so 
that's when he, you know, he looks up and he hears her tiny voice. Why, you know, why, why, why can't I have a baby? And she's obviously been shot square in the right, you know, chest. It's it's very sad. Yeah, yeah. it is. And very... and over with Abe, the big monster that he's been fighting is dead, and so he doesn't get it. Dead. It's just it just died, just like I figured. Daimyo said, "Jesus, man, I thought you were dead or worse." And what did you figure? Come on, Daimyo says. I'll tell you all about it while we're digging. Mm-hmm. And then there there goes Daryl, though. Yeah. Who's keeping track of Daryl while this is going on? He just kind of walks back off into the no. into the woods. We'll talk about that. Let, let's come back to that. Yeah, because I have thoughts on that, too. Yeah, <laughs> and so we cut to Abe and Daimyo, and they're digging the grave for Mr. Kennel and his wife, right? And then they've got the baby there, too. Back up, Abe says, you can read minds now? No, that's not it, Daimyo says. That thing was trying to get into my head, I think, but I ended up inside of its, well, its mind, I guess. Okay, so where'd Mrs. Kennel find it? She didn't, Daimyo says. It found her. This page here, um, this next page where he's saying, it was just a ghost at first, and it was it was trapped. Well, not trapped in anything. It was more like it was nowhere at all. Yeah. And so yeah. this this line art, and of course, Dave Stewart's coloring of the line art is... Uh, to me, we we don't we haven't really seen anything like this in the series at yeah. all. And the way that the, they chose to do this is so. I mean, this is. I love this aesthetic. I love this whole page, and I love this whole. Um, you know, it looks like it could be a a relief printing, right? Almost yeah. like it could be like a woodcut print. This whole and it's it's just very. Um, I I just like the way it's done. I like the line. Oh yeah, like it's the, wonderful. Um, it's really well done. And it's really. Uh, it gives it a really ethereal quality yeah. so he he's like you know it hurt her crying over her baby and that's what brought it here into our reality like some sort of a uh dead moth's ghost to a flame right i love that explanation yeah i love that he he knows that firsthand because he was you know in doing, its head. and it's basically yeah right and so that's um such an interesting idea i think about stuff like that all the time there's all these different dimensions to reality and different various realities and so and they're concurrent with ours it's kind of all overlapping and coming in and out and so this thing being this entity being nowhere at all until it discovered that there there was a somewhere a shimmering somewhere and was like i'm gonna manifest myself here and explore this plane of existence and it's just a very interesting uh yeah i like this whole page i like i like the art i like the story right it's good and then the next page is Super gross, and I hate it. Right. So. On the next page, Daimyo explains that it was a spirit it wanted to become flesh, and so it used the eggs from her ovaries to build a body for itself and for a twin brother. Nope. And she delivered it as a larva. Nope. It was waiting to grow into one of those big monsters like the one in Nebraska, referring to Cothahem. The big black one that Abe and Daimyo were fighting, that was the brother. And it cleaned out the woods to get big enough for the job. Finding the right kind of food for the little guy was a bit harder. It needed souls, but souls of the living. So a little camouflage was needed. And you can see like the progression of it being this giant like. Yeah. And then down into kind of a little more of a man shape, but still sort of a monster. And then finally like gets it right. Like he's a a dude now. So when it was the cop and when it was the guy in the green flannel, it was just that monster in disguise or whatever. They went from town to town sucking up the souls of the bodies. Well, you saw what happened to them. 
Anyway, that's what made me realize Mrs. Kennel was the anchor for this creature. She was what kept its spirit here. A bullet in her heart was the only way out. And Abe's like, all of this because of one woman's grief? That's what brought out this monster from its prison? There's so much pain in the world. Why hasn't this happened before? And Daimyo says, we don't know that it hasn't, do we? But if you think about it, everything that's happening in this world right now, all that craziness, we're at a tipping point. Things are coming apart. This ghost or whatever it is maybe just slipped through one of the rips. And behind Daimyo, we see those monsters that came out of the plane in the King of Fear and also the monster from the Salton Sea. And then Abe is like, Ben, you didn't tell me Daryl was here with you. No, I didn't. Grab the other end, will you, as I he's love picking that. up. So, yeah. so Daryl and, and Daimyo are together out there. Yeah. And yeah. so Daryl's just kind of like hanging back, yeah. watching him. So I think when Daryl walks off, it's more like, oh, I'll see you again when you're done with this fish guy. And yeah. When you're done with all your stuff there, and then we'll move on to the next place. I just place. like how matter-of-fact yeah. he's about, no, I didn't. Grab right. this over here. Grab right. the other end. It's like <laughs> very... Uh, and so Abe says that he'll come back with the bureau and take the kennels home. And he says, I can wait a day or so before I call this in, give you a little lead time to head out. Lead time, Daimyo says. Abe, before you ever get to a town with a working phone, we'll be a million miles from this spot. So he's talking about him and Daryl. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, hanging out. They're a team. They're buddies forever. I want that right, spinoff yeah. book. <laughs> I want that book. Let's get the let's Daimyo get the and Daryl. Let's get the book of Kate Bruno and the Ghost of Lobster Johnson in the back seat, <laughs> and then we'll also get this one of Daryl and Daimyo just hanging out in the woods. A lot of these could be woods. one shot issues. Yeah. I really think they could. I think I want the buddy. I mean, I want the buddy comic book. Do, do we ever find out? Because like at the end of um, was it Killing Ground? Mm-hmm. Uh, the last panel we see is Daimyo and Daryl like squaring off. And yeah. It's like, next thing you know, there they are. Being all buddy buddy in the yeah, world, so. yeah, yeah, it's like a buddy cop movie. Yeah, sure. I want the because uh, they're spending a lot of time out there together. There's there's enough time for for a, a one shot. Mm-hmm. Anyway, or even like maybe three or four stories in that one shot. Yeah. <laughs> right. So they put a cross on there. That cross should make it easy for your boys to find. Just hope Kennel isn't a Jewish name. I thought that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Jeez. I think it's funny how he's saying like it'll make it easy to find, and there's the giant there's monster. A giant monster, monster <laughs> yeah. Jeez. And Abe says, "Ben, that tipping point stuff. If it's true, you have to come back. We'll need all the help that we can get." That giant thing in California, Daimyo says, "That's not your problem. Not when the real invasion is going on in people's minds and their wombs, for Christ's sake." That, Abe, is how the world's going to be destroyed right out from under you while you're holed up in the Rocky Mountains. But you can save it from right here, Abe asks. Hey, I think we did a hell of a job, don't you? Look, whatever the upshot is, I can't help you. And I like how he's pointing yeah. behind him at the <laughs> He's monster. gesturing at the fucking... It's a really good panel. I can't help you with that shit. I like how he brings up the fact that it's not... Uh... The monsters aren't the problem. It's what's going on in people's minds. Yeah. And like you've seen through like all these TV shows, oh, uh, I love people that. like yes. like those rednecks saying stuff about this and yeah. that, and the one guy at the beginning saying like catfish people and ghosts. Right. Know, we need yeah. Human Americans to take care of this kind of stuff, and it's just yeah. like that. That's really kind of right because yeah. you know the monsters are popping up, but people are going to turn on each other now. It's so fucked up. Right, and it's uh, it's not even necessarily just you know whatever like redneck quote unquote rednecks or oh, whatever. Right, it's, right, it's, right. it's it's like there's also that that guy who was on TV. He oh, was the, in a the suit. Preacher guy. Yeah, he was all looking nice and mm-hmm. educated and whatever, and he was one of the main 
pro- a lot of people right, probably listen yeah. to that guy. You know what I mean? And so being an upstanding citizen or being a influential millionaire or being a, you know, living out in the woods or whoever, as, as long as you uh, have the wrong frame of mind, nothing's going to get solved and nothing's going to get, everyone's just turning on each other and blaming each other and invoking all this stuff that doesn't have anything to do with it. And at the end of the day, if you can't all work together to solve these major problems, they're just not going to get solved. Right. Exactly. And so, yeah, that's like, yeah. uh, the monsters wouldn't be a problem if we could all work together and <laughs> you know, that's that sort of thing. So yeah, Aubrey, yeah. that's, that's a really good point. And I like, I like that you brought that up because it does tie that back together with the beginning of the story. Like everything that's all the content within these stories serves a purpose to the story is good storytelling. There's yeah. nothing that's just yeah. uh, superfluous. And that's that's another thing. It's another reason to love these books. And the last thing Daimyo says is, but there is something you could do for me. We cut back at the bureau in Colorado and they're having the debriefing. And she tells Abe he did nice work. That said... How about next time you run off, you tell us where you're going. Well, wait, wait, wait. She, she goes, uh, you know, we should learn quite a bit from the monster we found in the woods. That's a first. So they've never really brought back a giant oh, Audrey yeah, or whatever. Right. So they're hoping to do some research on that. Yeah. And I don't know what's going to happen with that because mm, I haven't read you know, all that yet. But that's going to be interesting. But, yeah, so she's, hey, Abe, why don't you uh, tell us where the heck you're going next time? And he's like, hey, come on. I take care of myself. Huh? Right. You know, look, I... I did everything by myself. I did a good job. Like you should, uh, should believe in me, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. but I don't know. Devin's Devin's got something to say about that, right? And so Devin's like, "Well, we still don't know why you were there in the first place. No one had reported those people missing. Did you stumble upon this by coincidence while you were vacationing in British Columbia, or are we supposed to believe you managed to intuit the danger and waited in solo? You fucker!" And there's just this panel of even Abe just Kate, even at Kate's, him. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, Kate and Abe are both rightfully just like, "What yeah. in the fuck is the matter with you, you fucking twerp?" And right? I, I like how he just gets up and he's just like, "Well, if that's how it's going to be, meeting adjourned." Yeah. He just like gets up his stuff and starts yes. walking out. And this one guy comes up to him, "Oh, Agent Sapien, just coming to see you." He says he doesn't know what hit the car, but your hard drive is just fine. One thing, though, we did find spyware note had been downloaded. Looked like someone's been monitoring your internet usage. And Abe's like, you little chicken shit. He goes straight for a day. And Devon's like, I didn't have anything to do with it. Who the hell else raises his eyebrow every time I so much as sneeze? And they're holding each other back. And it's a whole fucking thing. He is furious. Like the rage in his face is incredible. Oh, you can just imagine like all of it building up. He's been trying to be civil. He's been trying to be this, but he just in the one little thing, and he's like, "You chicken shit." Yeah. Right? He's like, "You fucking punk!" You know, yeah. you've been whispering all this shit, and it's you. You know, say it to my fucking face. Say it right now. And Kate's like, "God damn, holy right. shit!" And you know, everyone's everyone's face is so much rage. Yeah. It's just really, and she's like getting in between the two of them. Right? It's amazing. And she says, "I'm sick of this. You two need to work this out." Just like that, that little weasel thinks I'm the Antichrist. How am I supposed to work that out? And Abe just walks out. Yeah, fuck that guy. But then we cut to Johan, and he's like, yes, Abe, why? Why were you there? Why, why, This guy in particular, like this fucking guy, they keep giving him chance after chance. Yeah. And it's like, look, I wanted to believe in Johan too. He's an interesting character, but... At some point, you just have to be like, look, this guy is very clearly 1,000% sabotaging this team and is not trustworthy. Like, please stop giving him things to do. 
And Johan's looking at the article of Bigfoot that Abe was looking at, and he goes, White, a tall white creature. Who could that be? And he takes out that knife that we saw in Out of Reach. I also want to point out, um, he's still got those pervy uh, Playboy Mm -hmm. pinups around the... He's got some Oreos. He's got some cigars and shit. Yeah. Well, he's even got some of those pictures still on his uh, wall. That's what I was saying, yeah. Over his bed, yeah. I don't like this guy. (laughs) (laughs) We cut back to British Columbia, or maybe they're in a different spot, and Abe is meeting up with Daimyo again. Over here, he says, almost gave up on you. And Abe says, I needed to take some extra measures to avoid being followed. No, I didn't tell them about you. It's just that, you know what? It's a long story. So he doesn't want to tell Daimyo about all this stuff. Daimyo's like, so did you find it? I'm here, right? And he gives him the picture of Daryl's family. So that's what it was that Daimyo wanted. And Daimyo's like, laminated, nice touch. Well, yeah, I mean, they're out in the woods and they're doing all these. I just think that's really... Aww. And I love this part. Abe's like, and a surprise, Cohibas. <laughs> Working for the UN has its perks. And Daimyo, he takes the cigars. He's like, we'll have to smoke a few of these on your next visit. Sure, if the, the world's, world's still, still here, here. That's what Abe says. And he goes, keep your head down, brother. And I love this panel. Such a touching yeah. moment. I really like that. And and making that physical contact by putting your hand on someone's shoulder is surprisingly such a very strong yeah. Thing to do. I mean, have you yeah. ever done that to someone? Have you ever looked someone in the face, put your hand on yeah. their shoulder, you know, called them your brother? That's very touching. And I love that we we get to see these two guys. They have that relationship. Yeah. And yeah. I think that seeing that is very important. And it's uh yeah, it's a it's a really good it's a very touching page. It's it's really nice. Yeah, and Abe leaves in his boat, and I can't help but feel like he's sad in that image yeah. as he's leaving. Like, he wants to join. Yeah. Like, why can't I just come and be a mountain right, man with, yeah. <laughs> with Daryl and Daimyo, you know? Heck, yeah. I want to go Shit, I mean, there's less bureaucracy them. you'd have to deal with, and yeah. nobody thinking he's the Antichrist. <laughs> but yeah. all of this, this page, there's just so much kindness on this one page. Yeah. Giving Daryl this laminated photo that he, you know, because that was our first exposure to Daryl was this, very very sad yeah. looking guy in the in the corner uh, with the photo, and it's just such a you know right. heartbreaking image. And now that he's got this you know the laminated photo, and he's he's got something that he knew Daimyo would really want the some some creature comforts, right? The the cohibas right, and the yeah. you know. Um, well, Daimyo had said earlier that he couldn't live without him. Remember or whatever he couldn't survive without the cigars. Yeah, when Abe tried to call him on that. Well, Bo, but he's these are like the supposedly yeah. supposed to be like the nicest the possible ones. cigars and he's like yeah i work for the un so like you said that panel where they're they're saying their farewells and they're yeah. they're it really illustrates their relationship and it's um it's just a, it's a good page yeah i love that i like that this series gives us these moments these they give themselves room to breathe you know you can get these these horrifying stories about the apocalypse and these Whatever Lovecraftian creatures, and then of course these these character moments are what really make yeah what really get you invested, you know. Yeah, that was a great one. I really love that relationship with Abe and Daimyo, and just that whole moment wrapping that up is really nice. Next, we're going to talk about BPRD Helena, Seattle. This eight-page story was originally published in black and white and given away to fans at the 2011 Emerald City Comic Con. The issue also contained a, a five-page sketchbook with comments by Guy Davis and a one-page Hell Mail. And this cover by Guy Davis is so awesome with this giant monster 
we haven't seen a monster like this yet, no, right? No, yeah, it's weird. No. It kind of looks like those guys that came out of the plane when it crashed, like if it got really big or whatever. It's kind of like this crab-looking thing. Most likely is one of those things. Sure, uh, yeah. Yeah. We open on just all the destruction of Seattle, so I imagine if you're from Seattle, these are probably like notable places, the public market center and stuff like that that would be totally wrecked. Uh, Nick, if you're listening... Tell us if this is true. Right. Even though I know you're not listening. <laughs> <laughs> and we turn the page and we see this giant monster, the monster that was on the cover. It's upside down and it's dead. It looks pretty wrecked. And behind it is just the whole wreckage of the city. I mean, we talk about Guy Davis so much, just the amount of work that he puts into a panel like this. And it's Carla Jerolko. She's talking on the phone to Kate and she's telling Kate, we won. Yes, that's what I said. Everything's fine. And Kate's like, but that's not what we're seeing here on CNN. And so we see the footage on CNN of this monster just destroying everything. Kind of reminds me of Cloverfield. Yeah. You know, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. There were some cool shots like that in that movie. Yeah. They tell me the fields went out about a half hour ago. Cells aren't working either, Jeroko says. That's why I had to use the satellite phone. But trust me, it's all over. I'm just waiting for the cleanup crew. Better go. I should try and save the battery on this thing. And so she turns around and a local police is there. And so they start talking. And they sit down and they have this chat. Jiroko says, I thought I was the only one around here. When the missile started flying, everybody cleared out. Bum knee or I'd be gone too, the cop says. And he says, hey, what about... He's asking about the pilot and the crash plane in front of the thing. Oh, right. There's a... Yeah, so we see in front of the monster there's a crash plane. And he says, hey, what about... Yeah, he's talking about the pilot. Thanks, Aubrey. And she says, ejected, but with the wind, well, last I saw of him, he was floating towards Belltown. Listen to you, Belltown, you from here? Upstate New York, Jeroko says, but my grandma lived in Wallingford. Every summer we'd come out for two weeks, me and my brothers. It was amazing. The first summer we went canoeing in Lake Washington. I'd never even seen a canoe before. It was like paradise next to Rochester. Summertime here, the cop says, yeah, paradise is a good word for it. Maybe not this summer. And they just look at that giant monster. And uh, we clearly see that this uh, this man is married. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's got a he's got a wedding ring on. And he's like, I heard what you said on the phone. You're wrong. We didn't win. And she's like, I don't think that thing's gaining up again. And he's like, okay, yeah, well, we won today. But we're not really winning, are we? I mean, half of Indonesia's gone. Houston's gone. A giant lobster's squatting in California. And now Seattle. How's Rochester holding up? I don't know why this is happening, but I know it won't stop. And if I had a brain, why, I'd move way up into the mountains and hide. And Jeroko's like, well, why don't you? And he goes, this is home. I don't hear you saying I'm wrong. Hell, you'd have to know better than I would. You're in the bureau. You've got more information than I do. Do you think we can win? And she's like, I don't know. Maybe we can't, but maybe we're not even supposed to. You're a cop. Has anyone on the force ever thought you guys were really going to win someday? Doesn't stop you from doing your job, does it? Uh, here they come. And she sees the helicopters from the BPRD. They're coming in now. And so the cop says, so you're saying that this is how it's going to be from now on? You and the UN just trying to stay one step ahead of these monsters and volcanoes? Christ, that just makes you want to go out and get drunk, doesn't it? And he's like, doesn't it? Yeah, so he is kind of hitting on her. And yeah. she's like, nope. She starts walking off. Makes me want to head home and hug my three-year-old son. I love, end. I, I love the way that that ended where she's like nope want to hug my three-year-old son i was like man that's pretty awesome yeah <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> and i think this is interesting because you know i mean this is kind of setting up we 
We saw Jiroko. We saw her badge in that flashback scene. We've seen her referenced a couple times in this story. So it's kind of setting up that she's going to be one of the new characters. And she's got a son. And so we haven't had any kind of characters with that kind of, you know what I mean, uh, thing going on, which I think is really interesting. Well, it's also like, you know, those those are generally the two reactions. Like, wait out the apocalypse getting drunk or, you know, cherishing the connections right. that you value the most yeah. or both you could do both i you guess could do but, both yeah you know she's like you know she's the optimist in this conversation and so i think that those two outlooks are you know the writer's way of working that out within their own minds of yeah like, what, what choices would i make and what you know what choices is there to make and, and i like the parallel of she's with the bureau and he's a local right police, right right and that is, so they yeah, both have really different views on it yeah she's seen it from more a global standpoint right and so in the sketchbook, we're looking at the sketchbook for New World. Guy Davis says, with the Plague of Frog menace wrapped up, it was time to focus on new dangers ahead for the BPRD. And of course, that meant a bunch of new monsters to take place of the frog creatures. It started with a few random creature sketches to see if I was going in the right direction. But my first pass at a sort of bullfrog monster didn't have the right feel for the story. And so we kind of see there's an evolution of the monster's he added some tentacles. Mike and I like the idea of it crawling across the woods like some sort of infant or larva. And with the final pass, I kept the crawling arm and a mass of tentacles, but worked that up to the head design, too. So the tentacles were used as smaller arms and holding tusks around the hidden mouth of teeth. Mike liked this direction, and it made for a nice spooky image as this mass rolled, whipped, and crawled through the woods. And he talks about the different designs for Abe. We talked about Daimyo and Daryl. He says he wanted to do a. I like how he says he wanted to do a new BPRD outfit for Abe, something lighter for a woodland adventure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he said it was great fun to draw Daimyo and his mountain man look. Right. It's really cool. And like you Mm -hmm. were saying earlier about how he just did the scraggly stuff on top of how he would normally draw Daimyo or whatever. And we see all his thumbnails for the covers too, which are really cool. He says. We knew Daryl would have to get a cover spot on one of these. Yeah. And then there's, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. All right. So that was a great episode. So what do you think about coming back to BPRD and seeing how it is now? Yeah. You know, we're kind of hit, we're in the next phase of it. You know, we're in the hell on earth phase. So you kind of see how that's going to be playing out. What'd you think of that weird reveal about Houston? Oh, man. (laughs) It ain't like that, is it? Shit. Man, that's just messed up because, like, you know, honestly, um, if that volcano is blowing up, we're right in the middle of right. it. Right. Everyone's be totally, always yeah, fucking we're, with we're, Houston and the yeah. Independence Day. They blew up Houston. They fucking nuke Houston. When I saw that in the theater, everybody stood up and cheered. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, everybody wants to blow up Houston. What's up with that? Come on, y'all. <laughs> anyway, uh, I thought that that was really cool. Um you know, when I first when I first saw that, I was just like, wow, you know, and I was looking at, you know, all the buildings are there coming out of the volcano. I don't know. I kind of liked that our city got shouted out in, in that way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always looking for like landmarks. You know? Yeah. All right. Well, that was a great episode and we'll have another one next week. Now, Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. Share us your thoughts on BPRD, Hell on Earth, New World in Seattle. You can send us your feedback to hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. 
You can also find our Discord link on the Facebook page. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Be sure to also check with our friends at Mignolaverse to see what they got going on over there. Also, I want to give a thanks to Warpaint Paul for the awesome theme song, Thank You. Yes. <laughs> Next week, uh, we'll be reading the BPRD Hell on Earth Gods and Monsters. So, pull out your trades, your back issues, your digitals, your libraries, your omnis. Use the Hoopla app if you have that. Go to your friend's house, bring <laughs> him some fried chicken, and wash your hands, and then ask to borrow the comic. And join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle Renee. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace <laughs> saying, that's right, fuckface. I don't die easy. <laughs> Good one. <laughs>